Hey guys, and welcome to the Nashville for Nobodies podcast. I am your host, Bobby Gordon, along with my co-host, Kyle Thurkey, and we're going to be talking about the Nashville music scene and the ins and outs of Lower Broadway and a bunch of other random stuff that comes to mind. So if you're thinking about Nashville or new to Nashville and want to wrap your head around what's going on, this might be a great place to start. Take a listen. What's going on, everybody? It's Kyle Thurkey with Nashville for Nobodies. And Bobby Gordon. I am still alive. I am kind of snotty still, but I am alive. So Bobby has been sick Very recently. Sick. It was miserable. And that's part of the reason that we haven't got an episode out lately is because we couldn't get together and I don't want to just sit here by myself and talk. And then I went off and did a one-off last week uh, in California, which my days were originally supposed to be later in the week and then they got moved earlier. So Bobby and I have not been able to sit down together in like three weeks. And I wasn't even sure we were friends anymore. Like we haven't talked, nothing. Bro, I... <laughs> Life has been crazy for the both of us, and it's like there's like three days that just kind of blob together in like me just being sick and not. Dude, there was like going on. There was like eight days that just blob together for me that I. It wasn't until yesterday that I knew what the actual day was. My trip to California completely fucked me up and threw me off. I bet. And there was in what how long was i gone three and a half days in those three and a half days i got about five hours of sleep oh i bet and i mean i don't sleep i get you know you get little naps on planes we did have um a hotel for one of the nights but because of the hours you know they're, they're two hours behind us yeah and so my body was on you my didn't normal even schedule have time to like fix the jet lag before re-jet lag. you were <laughs> you were double jet lagged <laughs> you don't think that there's that much jet lag just like going to california and doing this but i wasn't you know i wasn't just like going to california relaxing i got to california and immediately got in a car and drove two and a half hours to where we were supposed to stay and then there was some crazy shit going on once we got there and we finally sat down and ate i mean you say that then, but like you're jumping a couple and like daylight savings time will fuck me up for a month yeah so <laughs> yeah for sure so a couple hours and then to immediately jump back a couple out yeah all that uh, i think the camera decided to stop of course of course <sighs> i don't know it's a work in progress so uh I finally was like, you know what? We're having the GoPro set up. I don't care if I have to match audio to video. And so I had it running and it literally just stopped. It was oh, like, of course. so we're what? Two minutes into this one and the GoPro stopped recording. So I guess we're not going to have video. For this we'll, we'll figure this out. I think. Maybe. And I've, I've been, I'm frustrated. I've been dealing with the GoPro for the last two hours, trying to set everything up. Um, every video and everything that I found online that's told me how to do things are like two years old and apparently Which of course is what you were going off of when you were like hey we should do the GoPro this looks easy yeah and it was supposed <laughs> to be easy because everybody made it look so easy but I guess GoPro doesn't have that software on their website anymore so I, it's been a pain in the ass so if you know anything I, about this shoot us a message because yeah, we don't if we don't if anybody at all can help me with the live streaming thing that would be great because I clearly don't know what the fuck that I'm doing. Here we go. Uh, we're recording again. Let's see how long that goes for. All right. Um, but anywho, uh, back to this. I'm frustrated again. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's uh, been a day, Kyle, and it hasn't even started yet. I'm just, I'm going to have to start smoking on this podcast. It's just going to have to happen. <laughs> 
on the bright side, we have a guest today, and the guest brought presents and snacks. Yeah. So there's a new standard. Yeah, he he has set the bar high at this point. So if you want to be a guest on our podcast, presents and snacks, uh, presents that'll and do snacks, it. Uh, that's the way to start. That that actually is what got me out of my shitty mood. I'm not even gonna lie. So, anyways, enough about us and our bullshit. Y'all, welcome, Brad Dawson. Brad, how are you doing today, sir? Dude. Awesome, guys. Awesome. I'm stoked right now. <laughs> I know, man. So, Brad was supposed to be in here, was a, not last week, but the week, week before? I think before so, last. yeah. yeah we were, so, two weeks ago, Brad before, was supposed to be here. Bobby got sick. And I sick. almost died. Snowmageddon. Yeah, we had Snowmageddon. Bobby got <laughs> sick. And it January has been one hell of a month. Dude, so. I, I'm, I've am i I've still postponed my birthday. I, we have not celebrated my birthday yet. My birthday oh, no, was we're, the 16th. We're, oh, right. we're going right. to do shit for your birthday. I had but stuff I planned. To, like... <laughs> snow happened sickness happened i'm still trying to get well so it will happen i'm doing something for my birthday i'm too old not to i don't have very many of them left so we're gonna do something oh 100 percent. it'll De- just probably definitely. be well let me know not now <laughs> let me know i want to be I'll well first i'll show up yes show up be cool. so brad is a drummer here in town as well as he used to book and do all that but before we get about before we start talking about what brad does here in town brad you're originally from florida originally yep, uh, that's correct. Born, born and raised in florida i was yep so um how the fuck did you get into music what what was that journey for you well i was born and raised in florida but my family is all from indiana okay and so my grandmother's from kentucky and so i have like midwestern southern kind of roots but my family all moved to florida following my grandmother down there and so I was born in Florida. Parents got divorced. Dad moved back to Indiana. So I spent a lot of time between Florida and Indiana. As a kid, I was flying real young. And and um, <clears throat> my dad was a drummer. And um, he played back in the 60s and 70s and in a band with his sister. And um, my aunt is Jinx Dawson. So we'll have to test your, your metal history. Uh-oh. But if you're, <laughs> have no metal but if, you're if you guys are, or anyone listening is into metal and you go like pre Black Sabbath, there's a oh, band. Then I definitely I'm I'm out. <laughs> there's a there's a band called Coven. And Coven, the there's a hot blonde who fronted the band. That's my aunt, Jinx Dawson. And she has an Bobby's interesting Bobby's like, I'm searching now. <laughs> she has an interesting story. Um she was just super beautiful. Um she was like a playmate. Uh, she was like one of the first like kind of stars to get a, you know breast implants kind of back then that wasn't so popular right and she was a, a, they were an occult occult rock band and she was dropped from her label she had a bad a bad deal and she but she had a hit song she sang the song one tin soldier for a movie called Billy Jack now if you talk to any baby boomer like our parent like like 55 and older all right, mom and dad, I know y'all listen to this. Chances are you're going to know the song <laughs> One Tin Soldier because it was played on the radio. I mean, you ask any boomer, they're going to know. And so I just grew up around that a little bit. Now, I wasn't like going to shows with them or anything because at this point, my aunt had moved to L.A. and was like pursuing her career and was be- you know was in some movies and stuff. And my dad was like, I'm going to go my own route. He went the college route um, and he had really kind of stopped playing. But. My dad was a drummer. I come from a musical family. Um, I think like a lot of the guests do. And I found that, you know, obviously like you grow up around it and it it's in your blood. You know, you can do it. You see it. You hear it. <clears throat> I feel like I'm the only one that did not grow up around a musical family. 
Myron's just my dad, though. So, like, me but, and my dad are the outcasts of the family. But still, nobody like, else understands. Yeah. You still grew up around. Him. I mean, his. Oh yeah. yeah, and that's I've said all my life. The only reason I can do this is because I started doing it before I knew you couldn't do this. Yeah. And so, like, I didn't realize this wasn't a thing that anybody <laughs> could do. Yeah, I didn't really realize like fast forwarding. You know, like I didn't realize it could be done this way. I had no idea that it was going to happen. I just. I, you know, it was like, I, I think was, you are kind of destined to be a musician somewhere in there. I think you have to have like this sickness, this kind of addiction. Yes. You know, it's called autism. You know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I've met more musicians than I can tell you that are like, yeah, I'm kind of autistic, bro. Oh, and it's bro, like, oh, I swear to God. 70% of you motherfuckers like, that I have run into are 100% on that spectrum. Yeah. Like, absolutely. But it's like the brilliant side, you know? Like, like, there's some, we do yeah. some dumb shit. Of course. But like, but there's like this maybe, brilliance maybe of like I'm not as much on the brilliant side but no like no but like you seriously. can seriously you think about it though like you watch singers sometimes that like the, Brandon we were kind of just talking about before the show like this guy remembers so many freaking lyrics and I'm like how do you, he's like I don't know I'm autistic bro he'll just go into another song and I'm just like now he doesn't do everything note for note all the time but like he, I just can't believe sometimes how much like he can retain do this you, knowledge. Do like, you know Eric Gannis? I do. Yeah, same dude, thing. Dude, like, definitely. He's the he's, kid's a computer. Dude, I love him. He's, he's a computer. Well, like, bring me back to that because I, I have to tell you my Eric Gannis we'll, introduction. Eric and I will be talking, and he'll bring up something that I said four or five years ago, and he'll be like, "Yeah, you said this," and da 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 da. And I'm like, "I don't remember that conversation at all." <laughs> like what? The yeah, he's an interesting cat. Man. Uh, I, but I no, yeah, kid. the older I get, the more I'm like, dude, I am definitely autistic, and so is everybody I like. Yeah, so <laughs> it's uh, I think it's just a musician thing. Love you, Kyle. Kyle's got the Nerf gun aimed at Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> you got to bring those to gigs, dude. I'm I don't. You. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> There's nothing like bringing Nerf. I'll, I'll shout out Super Nash Bros. Brandon Rittenhouse, dude. He's my guy. We bring Nerf guns to shows and we shoot them at. Like if you if you yell Freebird, you're getting sniped, bro. That's amazing. Yes, I like that. Yeah, and then they yeah they learn real quick. And I'm I'm pretty accurate with the Nerf gun too. Now. I'm gonna get a Nerf gun. I'm gonna paint it green and I'm gonna write on it Anti Bird. And that anytime Just, someone yep. shouts out Freebird, they're getting. I got a bullet <laughs> with your name on it, dude. Bird repellent. <laughs> Pop. <laughs> Free bullet and every every fuck every <laughs> bullet right here is just gonna say fuck Freebird. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I feel like you would ADHD. end up picking like the angry drunk guy, and it would cause a big scene. Yeah, you know dude. I'm smarter than this. Come on. One time there was a chick. No, I'm not saying you would do it on accident. <laughs> there was a chick and she was kind of hot, and I was like, I'm gonna sniper. But the the banner for the art artist was like right here, and her boyfriend was like behind it, so I couldn't see him. And I was like, I'm gonna snipe this chick. And I like shoot her and I hit her like dead in the chest. And then I see dude like peek around the corner and I was like, oh dude, sorry bud. He laughed it off, but it was My just kind of hilarious. It was just kind of hilarious. Like the boyfriend looked at me kind of But no, Kyle, sideways. you would definitely do it on purpose depending on whose security is that night just to give them something to do. <laughs> You're like, oh, you look bored. Pop, take care of that. I'm telling you, dude, Nerf guns at shows are awesome. If you haven't done it. Well, I know what I'm doing tonight. <laughs> Just Please bring it. do. They all read it. They'll let me do it. They won't give a shit. Yeah. They they let me pretty much do whatever I want there now. After nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> after nine o'clock. That's great. They make me wait, which is fair. Anyways, Brad. 
Yeah, where are we? Okay, yeah, so I grew up. Um, my aunt's Jinx Dawson. Did you look her up? She's I pretty did. rad. She's like 70 now and looks amazing. Like, just in general, the whole band and concept looks cool. So, yeah, she, uh, we'll definitely dive into it, that it's a very, little more. You're, it, it's considered some of the first metal ever in the sense because they were in a cult rock band and they had like pentagrams on their... But yeah. the label dropped her because that was like unheard of at the time. Now metal bands can do all that shit. I mean, I think Taylor Swift even has a part of her show that's like satanic. And it's like... It, it's just a a thing back then that was like she was paving the way. So if you look into her, there's stories of her. We're, we're following her on our her page coming now. up with the sign of the horns. Yes. Like she was, it, it, everyone will be like, oh yeah, she came up with this. But in reality, she was doing the sign of horns because she was practicing some witchcraft, and she was using the sign of horns. Her bass player's name was Oz Osborne, and they had a song called Black Sabbath. Okay. So if Ozzy didn't come in and kind of pick up where she had laid the groundwork, that's the whole story with my aunt. And she just didn't really get her fair shake or her credit. So a lot of the real metalhead historians will like credit my aunt to being like one of the first like metal occult. How old is your aunt? She's like 70. Man, she looks incredible. Yeah. Right? Like, like I'm, I'm just scrolling through her Instagram. Like She, she was in a few movies. Incredible. She was in that like half cartoon movie. I want to say it's like Roger Rabbit. And she stays like current on her social media with yeah, everything. She opens for big metal shows. She's like the yeah. she's like the opening act that does more of like a ceremony. She comes out of a coffin. That's she's, dope. She's well, now cool, I gotta man. go check out one of her shows. This right? is awesome. I, like, I mean, her are kind of like a strange. I think she thinks maybe she's too like kind of out there for me, but she has no idea. We haven't caught up over the years because her and my dad had a falling out and. She's in Indiana. She's not like four hours away. She was going to come to my wedding. It was COVID, blah, blah, blah. So she want to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, you know, like, yeah, like we can work that out. We can try. She's, she's an odd character, but Jinx, if you're listening, I love you. I'm going to come up there and see you. Um, yeah, me and her, we chat a little bit on, on messenger and stuff, but anyway, so I kind of grew up around, I didn't grow up around what she had become, but I, I knew my aunt was super cool and um i loved her we had a great relationship like she would always come over to my dad's and it was just some, i loved jinx because she was creative and she made all these custom leather jackets and put rhinestones on them and sold them to like high profile clients she was just super creative and awesome my dad was a drummer but he kind of gave it up and went you know the the college route but um they had a really cool band growing up called him, her and them. And they used to play high school gyms and they were you know doing the twist and all that kind of stuff like that was nice. that was the band but um, so I saw my dad's drum kit. I actually have it now. It's a vintage um, uh, tricks on drum kit. And uh, if you ever see the melting bass drums, have you ever seen a drum kit? Do you know tricks on Bobby? Uh, I know uh, vaguely. It has like an oblong yes. drum kit that looks like yes. it's melted. Yes. So those are tricks on. So those are worth a lot of money if you have that kit. Uh-huh. And it has like four rack toms on it. It's kind of a weird jazz kit. Um, Ringo used to play one before he went to who he ended up playing with. With the other kit that he started playing, I think it was Slingerland or something. I don't That's know. That's what I was gonna say, but I'm not a yeah. history buff, so I wasn't. So anyway, I have this loud. cool vintage kit, but I remember my dad always playing it, and it was in the attic, and I'd pull it out, and um, you know, I just I I told uh, my mom I wanted to take drum lessons. She'll you know tell you the story. I was like nine years old, and I was like, I want to play drum. She's like, All right, well, find someone to give you drum lessons, and and I'll set it up, you know. And back then we didn't have phones and all that. I'm old enough. I'm you know, we didn't have internet really yet. I we did, but you didn't days. just Google everything. You know what I mean? It was like AOL dial up at that point. And uh, so I got in the phone book and I looked up the drum, a drum teacher and we found one and I'll never forget Rich, my first drum teacher. 
um, started taking lessons and, and he taught me right away. Like, if you can't sing it, you can't play it. I'll never forget that. Dude. Yes. If you can't I love sing that it, piece of you advice, you can't play it. And I think that goes for any, I've never heard that, but that's honestly a, a that's a great little piece of advice. So he would he really he, he instilled the like drummer that. language in me right away. You know, all drummers or whatever. They always like, you know, you sing it out. So if you're singing it, sing the notes, mm-hmm. you know, like just the rhythms. And I think for any instrument that can be true. Um, but yeah, he taught me that. He was a character. And um, I, I studied with him for a little bit. I can't remember his last name. I, I want to look at, you know, I want to look him up and, and, you know, maybe give back to him and go, hey, look where I'm at now, you know, kind of thing. But um, I can't even remember his last name. I'll have to ask my mom. But um, but then I found this other teacher. I ended up switching teachers to this guy named Buck McLeod. And Buck McLeod was like a fusion guy. He had marching chops. He had marimbas and timpani in his house. Nice. And like, so I was, you know, starting to get into middle school. And I remember when I came into sixth grade and I was like, I'm taking band and I'm going to be a drummer. And I came in there and I was this cocky little kid. And uh, I told her, everyone was auditioning for you know what instrument they're going to play and i was like well i don't need to audition like i'm a drummer i've already been doing lessons and she's like well let's uh let's let's give you a trumpet you know let's uh let's give you an instrument and see if you can make sounds and, so, and i was like i remember being so frustrated like i'm a drummer but she, she knew she knew right away like how to deal with my personality like how to humble me I went into She's sixth like, grade the same way. <laughs> and so they made you pick three instruments yeah. and you had to audition on all three and then they would decide which one you're on. Right. And like everybody picked percussion. So Oh yeah. And so I picked percussion, flute, and uh tuba. Because I knew I couldn't make a sound on a flute right? or a tuba. Yeah. <laughs> so like definitely there. And then like the audition was he would clap like a rhythm and then I would clap it back. And I was like, is this all? Because I could do this all day. And so naturally I was percussion. Yeah. See, I didn't even like get an option to pick the other two. They're like, what do you want to play? I was like, percussion drums. Like that's, yeah. that's what I want to do. It's like the only cool one at the moment. I don't you care know? what you, I don't care if I'm on a xylophone. Like I want to be in percussion. Like this is what I want to do. And they're like, cool. Uh, all of our percussion is full, so you can either do trumpet or clarinet. Let's try out which one you're better at. And I was like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? And I could not for the life of me do the buzzing on the Like, all they gave me were the mouthpieces. Yeah. I didn't even get the full-ass instrument. They're like, here's the mouthpiece. Just buzz it. Here's like, how you blow into this mouthpiece. Here's how you blow into this mouthpiece. Which one are you better at? And apparently I was better at fucking clarinet, which, like from what I remember, like I didn't even do that. Right. I think they were just like, we need to fill spots. And so this is where you're going. And I did that. And I, I hated Dude, every... read instruments trip me out. Like I've like the embouchure they talk mm-hmm. about and like the flatness of the chin and all that stuff. Like I learned a lot though, like through those years sitting in the back, being a percussionist and like waiting for my one symbol roll, 97 measures into the song because I didn't realize it at the time, but you're like watching the clarinets work out their parts and you're like watching the French horns do their thing. And I think through all that, I was like learning these like standard pieces, you know, like those like basic pieces that you play. I always talk about that. Like just sitting in the back as a percussionist, you learn so much from just mm-hmm. watching I did it wrong it. then. I learned how to spin drumsticks with <laughs> my fingers. Right. Well, I was also like, not. it's not like I was back there paying attention. I was like, you know, doing the wrong thing with my drumsticks and you know like 
Good. I thought we had two different ideas of what percussion was. I was like, like one yeah. time I don't at band know camp, anybody you know, that did like, that. <laughs> that one time at band camp story. Yeah, that's like true. But uh, yeah, then it went into high school, and um, I lived in uh, Central Florida. Um, I lived in a little town outside of Orlando called Oviedo, Florida, and so it was like close enough to Orlando that it was like suburban, but it was also close enough to like the like country. Because if you've been to Florida. Everybody knows if you've been to Florida and you go outside of town, like it's country. Like yeah. it's redneck yeah. down there. Like I don't even know how to even put it. We called them the Hicks. We had this group of kids that drove big trucks and we called them the Hicks. And so I would kind of hang out with them sometimes and party and, you know, but I, I, I never got into country. Like I didn't, I remember just being like, I don't like country. And, um, but yeah, so I played in this, this high school and our marching band, it was a big high school. I think we were a 5A high school at the time. And, um, yeah, so uh, big high school, big marching band. We had like a really renowned like director and drumline teacher, and our drumline was sick. I mean, you had to work your ass off to play in this drumline. Um, but yeah, so drumline was cool. Um, I loved it. It was like, I don't know, man. Nothing really felt like it clicked in my life, you know. But like music always did because I feel like everything else was like a test you know and then like I always felt like I wasn't good enough at everything like I played sports wasn't really good enough like I had talent I could talk I was smart but like music just didn't ever really feel like a test like even if I had to like rehearse a piece and like play it right I just was always like never looked at it like am I gonna do it good enough I just kind of did it and didn't look at it like it was hard or was a test like i wasn't the best drummer in the band but i don't know i just music is just that thing that just always kind of like clicked and i didn't even really know it was clicking it was just my life it was just yeah how it was you know um and yeah it's just kind of like a standard kind of background with music and it's like I, I got into a little jazz program and like never really took off in jazz like I always was like, I'm not a percussionist. I'm a drummer. You know, my band, my <laughs> band teacher would always say that, like, be a percussionist, not a drummer. I was definitely a drummer through and through. And uh, yeah, I have a picture of me at three years old with a Muppet baby drum set. So people are like, when nice. did you first start playing drums? I'm like, well, technically, <laughs> like if you count the Muppet baby drum set. Right. Um, so I'm like, you know, animal or whatever. But uh, yeah, so. So I mean, so when did you start doing your first like band gigs? So in middle school, so my stepdad, my mom remarried and my stepdad was this good old boy kind of dude from West Virginia. And he and he loved guitars, but he could only play like two notes. He could only play like G and C. <laughs> and he like tried to do lessons, but he'd never learn. And we had this like he bought like a 70s Les Paul. Now looking back on it, this guitar was probably like eight grand, dude. And it was just we had this Les Paul in there. He bought me a Ludwig drum kit. Like he supported it. So we had this. Yeah, but even even like back then, they weren't this going for what they are now. Yeah, like this they is the nineties. Like, like he probably bought that for super super cheap. Dude, I wish I had it. Like I, like I, tell, I bet you he brought. I bet you he bought that for like stupid cheap. Probably compared, did. To, compared to what they yeah. sell for now. It was a sunburst gold hardware like Gibson Les Paul, dude. Like. It was for sure. I, I, I used to flip guitars good 15 years ago, 16 <clears throat> years ago, uh, back in Houston. I would just buy them on Craigslist, clean them up, set them up, 
new strings, that kind of shit, and then yeah. sell them. And I would sell Les Pauls all the time. I would get them for like stupid cheap compared to what they go for now. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize I knew it was a sick guitar, but like I didn't really realize like how awesome it was. So I would turn that thing on and play it a little bit. But yeah, he he's like, you want to play drums? And he, my stepdad, was kind of that dude, like. He would support me if I was doing something like worth it. Like we would go snowboarding. He'd be like, "All right, you want to snowboard?" He'd buy me like, he'd buy me the nice gear, and so I'm super grateful to him. My stepdad, Buddy, he was from West Virginia, and he was a redneck dude. He, he was cool as hell. <laughs> Buddy from Rest West Virginia. Buddy from West Virginia. He used to I call me. It. I love oh, it. Oh God, I'm gonna say this, but whatever. He, uh, my nickname was Buckwheat. And I didn't realize that I was like, he was calling well, me the little black kid from the show. Like, uh, what's that little rascal? What is it? Little rascals. Little rascals. Yeah. My nickname was Buckwheat. And I'm like, what a, a, a mean nickname. I'm changing your name in, to, in my phone to that. It's, Absolutely. Yeah, so, and then it just turned to Buck. So you used to just call me Buck. And uh, yeah, and I loved Buddy. He passed away uh, randomly about seven years ago on a snowboard trip. Had a massive heart attack. Damn. Died on the mountain in Utah. It was pretty... Uh, Traumatic. I mean, I guess of all the ways to go, that's not the it, worst yeah. one. He loved snowboarding. Like he, that was kind of what we did. Me, his son, you know, my stepbrother and him, after we all kind of, I moved to California. He, his son was in Virginia and, and Buddy was in Florida with my mom. And he, all my mom would say, all he ever talks about is our snowboard trip we do every year. And we do it every year. And then he just, he got started getting out of shape and older and he smoked, you know, Marlboro Reds back to back and he's he told us a little yeah, bit about his heart condition but like fucking kill you he didn't say anything to us about having an issue and like he was a little weird that trip and then yeah they he, he had a massive heart attack while snowboarding we weren't with him it was crazy that's insane yeah there was a, a helicopter like, flew in and my stepbrother we were on the chairlift it was the end of the day and i was like man we haven't heard from buddy and he goes something's not right and like he knew it was really weird and we get off the chairlift and my my stepbrother was a better snowboarder than me we we're both pretty good but he was like pro at one point and he just pointed his board down bombed the hill went down there was a chopper down there i kind of rolled up i saw my stepdad's board against the lawn i just knew and oh that's it was just a real traumatic situation but not to get the mood down that's crazy but he died doing what he loved but he supported my drumming man and and he bought me a really awesome ludwig rocker all white drum kit it was in our living room <clears throat> And um, I would just play, and he had a ton of CDs, dude, like racks of CDs. And so I would just go through them and listen to, like, I was listening to the podcast from last night, and you talked about Led Zeppelin. You know, <laughs> Zeppelin for drummers is kind of a big thing, right? And I remember my stepdad being like, if you can learn how to play like John Bonham, you know, like, so I would listen to all the Zeppelin stuff. And uh, I just listened to all that, like, classic rock. He had a little bit of country, but he wasn't really a country guy. He was, like, a classic rock dude. It was, like, Almond Brothers and, you know, uh, uh, Steve Miller Band and, like, Bad Company and just, like, I was listening to the podcast last night and, like, we have a lot of, me and you, Kyle, have a lot of similarities, but, like, classic rock is one that you don't relate to as much. Yeah. And, like, I, that's my jam. Like, classic rock is really what I grew up on and how I learned to play drums. So I would just play drums. I would, I don't know why I didn't use headphones. I could have, but back then it was like, we didn't have all the, like the shit we have now. So I would just turn that shit up super loud and I would point the speakers at the kit and I would just play Zeppelin or whatever along to the speakers at like full volume. So when I, when I was younger, uh, I did have a drum set up, up until a couple years ago, I actually gifted it to one of my buddies 
but uh, I had that drum set forever and I would do the same thing. I would just get like all my stereo speakers and just like put them in front of the drum set when I was trying to learn how to play certain beats and I would just play along the best I could because I didn't like I would I tried with headphones but like back then like if you had the headphones on you couldn't really hear the yeah. drum kit like so I was like well <laughs> you know I'd rather hear the drum kit <laughs> over like all of the music I can do my best to keep up yeah but yeah so, so that's like how it. I started man and, and um, we had we started a little band and I didn't really have any bands we were just like covering Nirvana songs I really fell in love with like grunge rock and this is when like grunge and punk rock started to enter in my life. I was in like seventh grade and I had the Nirvana Nevermind album. I had the Stone Temple Pilots album. I had uh, Candlebox. Um, you know, I listened to a little bit of Tool, but not not much. Tool's cool. I had that I had that first record. Um, I liked it, but it was like a little too much for me to process at the time, I think. It it took me until I was in my twenties and like actually like playing music for a living to really like appreciate tool yeah because it's the same thing when i was younger i was like there's so much going on here that like my mind yeah could not comprehend me it. either and i you know growing up on like grunge and punk rock like i just like fast and loud oh i did so too. like going to that stuff when it was super melodic and everything was like building and building and building i was like i don't like this i don't like this at all where now it's it's a different story like i love that shit yeah when i had a, I had a, i was like early on i realized well i didn't realize i look back on it now and realize it but I like catchy stuff. Yes. I like popular music. Like now I'm not Same. so shy to like admit that. I just love, I don't care what it is. Like I don't care what genre it is. If the song is catchy and has a hook and I and I can dig it, like, you know, but back when I was a kid, I had to be like, I only like the cool stuff, bro. Like, but the stuff that I was still listening to was kind of rebellious. You know, I, I, think I had like the blonde spiked hair. I the, think that's why Nickelback had such a stigma to them because they had some really heavy shit. Yeah. But all of their stuff was so goddamn catchy and yeah. poppy that all the rockers and metalheads were like, Oh, Nickelback fucking sucks. That's not yeah. fair. They're yeah. cheating. They just had better hooks, dude. Like their choruses were good, and you couldn't not sing them. Yeah, like, yeah. like Chad figured out a formula and he ran with it. <laughs> yeah, we always joke around when people ask for Nickelback on gigs. We're like, there's two kinds of people. There's people that like Nickelback, and people that don't admit that they like Nickelback. <laughs> Mine's always there's people that like Nickelback. And people that are wrong and lying. Yeah, yeah, that one. There's that one, too. But, yeah, dude, so I just grew up on that. I love, you know, what band really stuck with me. And to this day, I love whenever the songs get called. There's usually only one we do downtown. But Alice in Chains, man. And that's kind of scary because it was super depressing. But, like, Man in a Box, like, anytime anyone calls that tune, I'm just like, yeah. Especially if I bring my china. So I bring this little 16-inch china, and I'm like, I can't use it downtown a lot because there's like not enough cymbal stands, but I will like run upstairs and find another cymbal stand <laughs> so I can play the China and everyone loves the China, dude. Like it's just a little one. It's not a crazy one. Maybe I should bring a China. Dude, if you could bring a China, it's freaking just don't get China happy because if you get China happy, it's like being trigger happy. It's like China. You just want to hit it so much. Oh yeah. That's what we always say too. Right? I had like, to say I it. The China. China. We're going to China, boys. Yeah, I do that. I always have one of the big bells with me. Yeah. And if I put it up, it's at the end of every song. Bing. Yeah. <laughs> I am like, I do that too. Like, I got to like watch myself because I'll just like get my mindset on like something and I can't stop doing it. Yep. <clears throat> but yeah, dude, um, grunge was a big part of my uh, 
growing up man and, and then i found like weed and it was over <laughs> and uh and honestly it did not help me um yeah it did a little bit but this is the beginning of realizing that i was an addict and alcoholic so we'll get into that i've been uh sober for 10 years fuck yeah man Congratulations. it may all be sober 10 years and if i go into my story at all which we don't have enough time for that but um it started just smoking weed and i slowly was i was I was like the dare explanation of why you don't do drugs. Okay. <laughs> like I, it wasn't like I smoked and then like, yeah, I had some moments where we got high and we played music and it was cool. Me. I was like, nope, I don't even want to do anything else. And I just started partying, whatever. And I could probably be so much further along in my career or pro could be even a better drummer if I didn't waste all those years. I mean, it just got to a point where that led to drinking and partying and just music really didn't it. That was it. I kind of quit playing. I just didn't. I just went on a party mode from like 16 to my 20s. Like all I did was get high and party, dude. And it's such a waste. It's kind of like my best friend in high school. He discovered weed like literally right after we graduated. And he made that the obsession of his whole yeah. life. Everything was about weed. Like that's dude, the only I was thing he ever wanted to do. I remember being like, I'm going to smoke to the day. And then I became a Sublime fan. Sublime was one of my favorite bands for a long time. I loved Bradley Knoll. I mean, I had a Dalmatian. My name is Bradley. I could still get high. I, don't, I used to just joke around like, I am this guy, dude. <laughs> this band is perfect for me. I loved everything about it. Punk rock got into my life. I started playing in little surf punk bands. I know you guys were talking about some punk rock last night. Punk became my love because I could be like anti-everything. And I had a mohawk at one point, And it was just like... Music was then like this thing that would almost justify my self-centered behavior and it went along with it, you know, and it was not a good thing because I could just go play in these bands and just be like, oh, I'm just this like punk rock dude. Well, it's so easy in music and I mean, going downtown, you can easily see this oh, just dude. watching somebody for five seconds or talking to him for five seconds. Good. 80 Ninety percent of us have that ego. Yeah. I mean, I, I do, I I yeah. do. When I'm on stage and playing, I I one hundred percent have that ego. It's grown way more now that I'm a front man in, in my own band. Um, off stage, I'm the complete opposite. But like yeah. on stage, well, you got to uh, learn at some point how to separate these things because yeah. if you start getting, you've met the cocky, you know, drug addict musician. Like you see, tons of famous ones are you know are susceptible to this because we're highly intelligent or autistic <laughs> i don't know which one it no, is we are autistic definitely. both and we got to shut our brains off and like so musicians are like we're just susceptible to that i think because and then the culture alongside with it it almost like says oh it's okay and it really screwed me up dude like i i'll tell anyone i'll put this out there for anybody and, and some people know that i don't my anonymity i've blown that a long time ago like i go to 12-step programs like that saved my life if anybody out there ever has an issue with it and they don't want to talk about it that's totally cool you can hit me up like i've had a lot of talks with a lot of you know guys some girls in the in the industry and like i'm here for people that want to like like you can have a life sober and still have fun and play music and go to bars and and do it and have Absolutely. a great and have a great life and be really matter of fact you're going to be more successful than a lot of other people because you're not wasting your time and your money getting high drinking all the time i mean i've watched it you've seen it downtown man. so i've i don't um, i've watched I've singers sober just, that's right you're sober right? 269 days today and Dude. sorry I, I don't ever keep track i i just look whatever it comes up yeah um but 269 days today i've been sober and man 
uh, and I, I talk about it, I'm open about it yeah. because it was something that I always said I don't have a problem when I 100% had a fucking problem. Oh yeah. And I'm the same way I, I tell people like reach out to me like if you're yeah. afraid to like you, you don't know who to go to or what to do like you can reach out to me anonymously and I've had several people in the last couple of months reach out to me and be like what did you do how did you go about this like it's hard downtown the temptation is always there and I mean cuz in our industry it's I mean, dude, shots rough. are just flying to the stage, man. It's, like, and if it's you don't so have your guard up. that you're expected oh, yeah. to take them. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's not it's even a so, question. It's so easy to just do it. Like, dude, they and, make fun of me. I, had, I, 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 I There's always that dude who buys a round of shots. They're like, what's the drummer want? And I was like, just give me a sh-, like, Whatever. I mean, I'm Red fine. Bull. You can hand me. I say Red Bull or whatever. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't say anything because I just mm. don't want to go down that path. So just let yeah. him give me a shot. I save it. And. I joke around with with players. I'm like, hey, another reason you should hire me is because when you get shots, you can have two. <laughs> I say that all the time, <laughs> which is kind of messed up because I'm like promoting them to like get drunk when I'm sober. I'm just yeah. But hey, at that not, point, if it gets you whatever, a gig, yeah, why like, not? Well, right? You know, and so and I've said this before. Not only is it our job to entertain and play music, but our job is also to sell alcohol. So if we're mm-hmm, still getting yeah. them to buy that extra shot, that's an extra. 12 plus dollars depending on what bar you're at so like if they buy you know only three shots you know or three rounds at three shots instead of three rounds at four shots that bar is missing out on close to forty dollars so i look at that tray and i go god i would rather have the two hundred dollars that that round of shots cost can you guys just not do that it hurts my soul so i i I tell bands now that i am sober i'm like hey look like i don't mind like when they do say hey you know like we'll play your song for shots I'll be like, hey, I don't mind. I'll go to the talk back or whatever. Like, hey, I don't mind y'all doing that like once every now and then. I was like, but like, let's take the money because I don't drink and that doesn't help me. Like, y'all buying, y'all getting alcohol and getting drunk on stage is not paying my bills. Also, I kind of stay away from those bands now. I do. I just, I've really in the last year cut out a lot of the venues and people that I play for just to. To certain specifics of my well, and you just life. don't attract like I in my life I just don't really attract them anymore. It's like I'm just a big believer in just through my experience that like whatever you do and how you live your life that you attract that. Yes, you know what I mean. Like it's the law of attraction or whatever. There's tons of books on it, or whatever. But I've kind of figured out through my recovery that there's this like spiritual law going on. Whether you believe in God or whatever it is, there's something going on where if you do right and you don't be a dick, Ding. like. Rule number one, if you <laughs> don't, don't be, a, be dick. a dick and be honest and like, uh, and you just communicate and show up like shit will go well for you. Yeah. Life happens, right? Things happen. Fucking you, your car gets broken into or whatever. Fucking in a parking garage or whatever. Luckily, I, that is not, not I feel targeted right now. <laughs> is that what happened? I couldn't so remember. About you got broken into right? other people. Yeah, my, my car got broken into, and that was like the cherry on top of the last three months, and I just like had a mental fucking breakdown. All the episodes, because like I listen to the podcast, right? I haven't listened to all of them, but like I'm like slowly like <laughs> like dropping little like nuggets from what I remember from the episodes, but because I feel like I know you guys. What's weird is that I feel like I know you guys. But you don't know me, you know, a hundred percent. Yeah, that's like the weird thing about it. I was thinking about it on the way here. I was like, I know them better than they know me. Than they know me. Yeah. And so my goal was like, well, I got to get them to know me now. You know. Yeah. I no, mean, I've, that's I've the whole had point tons of moments where somebody will like, I'll be on a gig with somebody I vaguely know, but they listen to the podcast and they'll start asking me questions like about my kids and stuff. And weird, I'm like, yeah. it's fucking weird, man. <laughs> I've never told you about my kids. 
so I'm I'm at lunch for JJ's birthday. JJ Cooch, we we're she had her birthday the other day, and um, we all went out to Pharmacy Burger, and we're just sitting there talking. And there's a a guy across the table from me, um, Zach, I think is his name. I'm sorry, man. If you I know you listen to the podcast, I believe your name was Zach. I hope I'm right. Um, but you're we're talking. And we, we've been sitting there <laughs> for. Uh, you know, like 30, 45 minutes. And I, Monty and I, Monty's next to me. We started talking about, she's doing a podcast now. And, you know, uh, we just start bouncing ideas and talking about what we're doing in our pot. We just kept saying podcast over and over. And he goes, wait, you have a podcast? And I said, yeah, I have one with my buddy, Bobby Nashville for nobody's. He goes, Oh, that's you. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. And they I got didn't real know. nervous of what the next statement's gonna be. I didn't know how to respond to that. I was just like, "Yeah, is this good or bad?" <laughs> no, that's but no. He, he was like, "No, I, I listen to the podcast and I really like it, and y'all give great advice, and we just, I just love hearing people's stories." Yeah. And I was like, "Okay, cool, nothing bad, sweet." <laughs> I'm still waiting for that shoe to drop, though, where people are gonna be like, "Dude, your podcast really sucks." <laughs> Dude, I mean, it's like my whole thing with podcasts, and I've been on a couple Cameron of them. just died. Of course, <laughs> of course it did. We'll, we'll cut what we have into snippets and, like, throw up little teaser videos or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. You guys will figure it out, man. Yeah, I love it. Like, I'm, I'm here for it. I've been on a few podcasts. I think I'm going to start one. Just Me and my buddy have been talking about it forever. However, he's, like, a big political guy, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to. It's, like, on fire hot. Holy shit. Uh, but yeah, pop, that camera is like on fire. <laughs> yeah, some uh, devices get like that when they're plugged in. I don't know. Well, I, d- I didn't have it plugged in. That was just the battery. That's probably not so, good. That's, that's interesting. We're going to have to reevaluate. <laughs> we broke it. I, Mom, I appreciate it, but I think I might have to reevaluate the whole camera situation. <laughs> Do over. Uh, I will buy the next one. Thank you for the GoPro, Mom. <laughs> Sorry, mom. Although, if there's like a camera company that wants to sponsor the podcast, yeah, we could talk. I have Speaking a zoom. Of, I have I, a zoom. I don't use. I was like, maybe I could bring it. I didn't even think about that. I I am in the market right now for sponsors and things like that for the podcast. So, if there's anybody that wants to talk to us, reach out to us. If we can make some kind of deals, something, whatever, holler at me because we are definitely trying to get some more, trying to get sponsors now. Anyways, so. You, I want to back up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you said that you like, you know, you started getting into like fucking drugs and drinking and yep. going down that road and you, you left music for a little while. I so did. you left music for a while. When did you come back into playing? Like when did music come back into the picture? So I had bounced around from Florida to Indiana. My, neither one of my parents could handle me. Right. And my mom sent me to live with my dad up in Indiana. And I really kind of spun out a little bit up there because I felt like I was torn away from all my friends and all that. And I was like 15. It was like a crucial time in my life. I ended up raising hell up there, pissing my dad off and my stepmom off. And I was really just burning bridges left and right. And it had gotten pretty bad. And I had went down to Florida and tried to, I went to my first rehab and my mom has been sober for like 30 years. So AA was being like pushed on me from her. You need to go to a meeting, blah, blah, blah. And so I decided I was just gonna leave and I moved to California. I packed everything up. I was a, I really was a surfer, punk, like skater kid. Aggressive sports were a big thing too. I didn't really talk about, but skateboarding, I was an inline skate, aggressive skater. I was a rollerblader that like jumped on handrails and shit. 
I was actually pretty good at that. I was into wakeboarding, was into surfing. I was into all like the extreme sports. So I was always wanted to move to California. And I met this crazy, I was dating this crazy girl and she was like, you don't belong in Indiana. You want to move to California. Let's move to California together. I'm like, that's a great idea. We're like in a blackout probably. Plot twist. It was not a great idea. <laughs> it was not a great idea, dude. And in well, fact, actually, the crazy girl says. fast forward it was because it led to all these other cool things. But we literally bought this like $1,200 Lincoln town car. We filled up. Our priorities were straight. We filled up a cooler with like a quarter pound of weed and like a bunch of bottles of liquor. And we just like started driving. It was so bad. Like, I don't know how it wasn't worse. We get there. We don't realize that California is expensive as shit. Sounds like a bad plot for a teen movie. Dude, we lived in motels. Actually, (laughs) we lived in motels. I think we were under a curse because I was like, I don't have any money. She's like, oh, I have money. Well, she like robbed this dude she was dating. He was a bartender and he just stuffed all his money into this cabinet. And she's like, we're just going to take all this money. And I'm like. I'm going to wait in the car. <laughs> I want nothing me, Lord. to do with I this. I had nothing to do with this, but she's like robbed this dude. Like, oh my God. I was like, this is how we funded this trip. And I'm like, this is so bad. I think we were on a curse for like the six months we were there because we could not find jobs for the life of us. It was like 2008 and the market was like all weird. And like, I remember, and it was like the crash or whatever. And, and uh, she finally got a job serving tables it just got bad. I ended up on some other drugs that you do when you're in California that aren't good. And um, it just was bad. And so I remember she got kind of abusive, this girl, right? And I was like, I got to get away from her. So she'd get she drunk. Got ab- she she would drink this and get dude ab- at the beginning of the story, but yeah. she got abusive. She, well, yeah, <laughs> but towards me. So she, she became abusive towards me. Like she would get drunk and like come at me and be like, you're cheating on me. And like. The cops would get called. It got so bad. Like my story was so bad, right? So I would leave. Well, we lived in Fullerton, California, which is Orange County. And there was this like strip of bars downtown Fullerton. And so I would walk down there and I went down to Fullerton. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's where um, the slide bar was, which is owned by um, the guys that, that, um, what's that band? We play the song all the time downtown. Uh, My own worst enemy. Lit. Lit. So Lit owned this bar down there. Anyway, they're from that area. All the Everyone thinks they're like a punk in Orange County. But that's where like punk comes from. Anyway, it's fucking cool. So I would go down to Fullerton and I'd go into these bars and I'd just like get away from her. Well, I meet this dude who's a sound engineer at one of the bars at the Continental Room, Rex. I'll never forget Rex Marshall. And we just started talking. He was a sound engineer. I kind of had dabbled in a sound a little bit from just playing in bands. And, and he was like, you're a drummer, you should play in my band. And I was like, dude, I don't have anything. I haven't played drums in like five years. He's like, you should have a drum set at my house. He's like, I need a drummer. I was like, dude, this sounds cool. So I started going to Long Beach from Orange County and hang out with this dude, Rex. And we were just doing like jam band stuff. He kind of had his own songs. And I don't know, dude, like the drums just came out of me. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with this again. And I, there was a distinct moment where I was like, I know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to just pursue drums. It just clicked. I was like, I'm just going to do this. It was just this little decision. this like switch in my head. I was like, I'm just going to not stop. All I'm going to do is just go after drumming. And um, so I kind of rediscovered music out in uh, SoCal. And from that moment, dude, everything I did, I played in all these bands. I got fired from bands, um, took gigs in LA. They'd send me all the songs, covers. I'd go play them like crap, get fired. 
like I was just like going about it in all the wrong ways. See, this I can relate to. Now we're talking about things I was that not I can relate good. Like, to. Like I had some talent, everybody would be like, man, you got energy and you're good, but like, man, you gotta learn the songs. Like, Never you heard that songs. before in my life. I, I didn't write charts or anything, so like Nashville kind of put me up on the chart game and I've had to work on my charting. I'm not natural at charting. I didn't even know what a chart was until I moved here. Yeah. Dude, I still can't write a drum chart that I follow. Yeah, I like, do like I'll a phrase write it, chart. But then I, I don't. Yeah, it's I just play by ear, man. And, and repetition and just I feel it you know and I'm lucky enough now that I've done these songs so much that I kind of know them and people are like dude you know so many songs I'm like I, people I are like I write songs yeah, I write charts you do daily them right. <laughs> yeah you do them real when you play a real instrument with like notes and shit you gotta know the Nashville number I mean, system I have so and these are all just shit that I've written just ah yeah, yeah these guys baffle me with that I'm like notes I get see like <laughs> like how do you oh there, there's there's some that are just like it's like four numbers and that's it I mean it's all I play the whole time but then there's some where it's like oh there's stops and breaks and all kinds of stuff that I need to do see I'm helpful when it comes <laughs> to arrangements and stuff like I hear things in music and I go oh we can do this here like I'm not really contributing too much when it comes to melodies or lyrics really but like I can help a song you know when it needs like rhythmic parts and stuff yeah, which so, i think so writers, here's one that's like super easy it's just yeah you know, four and six five yeah yeah <laughs> i really want to learn more about that I, I i did music theory so back to my like kind of story this dude rex went to school for audio engineering at long beach city college oh back up again i did attempt to go to audio engineering school in 2004 my grandmother paid for me to go to full sale if you guys have heard of Full Sail, yeah. yes, I'm I lived in Orlando, and Full Sail, the original one, was in Orlando. I went, and you had it was a ninety percent attendance policy, and I failed out of Full Sail in like three months. So, <laughs> I was at that time. That's fair. I wanted to go to Full Sail so bad. My parents were like, "Nope." I blew it. <laughs> I, I, I literally I thought blew about it. it, and then couldn't get any more money because now it's not something it that you put on your resume because people are like, "Because Full Sail is just pumping the industry full of these kids with degrees that don't really know what they're doing," and you know, in this business, like. You can't just have a mixing degree and get thrown on a gig and know how to mix a band. Like you yeah. have to learn it over time by doing it. You can't just be on an SSL console that's well, amazing. My problem was like being in Houston. I've said this a couple of times on the podcast and when, when I talk to people, the thing that I hated about Houston is when people found out that you were a musician, you were immediately like their competition. Yeah. There was no trying to help. If you weren't in a band together, there was no trying to help each other. And if there was another band, yeah. there was like a rivalry. It was so fucking stupid. Yeah. And I would try all the time to meet people and learn things through them to become a better player and more knowledgeable on stuff. And because like YouTube and shit like that was not, you know, back then people were just doing like, well, yeah, it's like people hoard their skill set. Like, yeah. They, they, hoard they, it. they don't want to share it. And they don't want to like, you know, I, I wanted to learn how to do sound engineer or, or like, like live sound and stuff and meeting these sound engineers in Houston. They were assholes. Yeah. Cause yeah. they were all washed up musicians that yep. weren't doing shit. And God forbid somebody learn to do what they're doing because, oh, shit, they're going to lose their job. Yeah. When I'm like, no, I don't want your shitty-ass job in this shitty, smoky bar. Right. I just want to know, like, how to do, like, gain staging or some shit. So, yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I want to know how to run the stuff. And so that was, like, my big draw to go into, like, Full Sail or Musicians Institute. Well, yeah. That was to actually really learn. Yeah. My parents, were, their reason was, no, you'll you can never make a career out of music. So like, yeah, <laughs> which is, you know, not the case, obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, dude, I, I 
found, had this love for it because, well, there wasn't really a love for sound. It was a necessity because I got tired of how crappy all of our bands sounded. And I was like, well, I want to hear the kick drum. Because you, you can have a great like, band. Wanna, if you got a shitty sound engineer, yeah. your band you is going to sound band. like shit. Yeah. So you know how I learned is like when I was in LA, I people kind of figured out that I knew sound a little bit. And so I, I had a bunch of, you know, like crazy punk rocker metal friends and they do these like metal warehouse shows and they'd be like, dude, our bands sound like crap. We have a PA, but no one knows how to run it. And that's what you need to find is like a situation where you can just like, you can't mess it up any more than it already is fucked. And so I would do like nine metal bands and I would mix them. It was awful. But like I got, but it, it was better awful. But it was like a little better. <laughs> and I was learning about EQ on the fly. I was just like, oh, you know, like if I sweep here, it's going to sound a little better. And dude, I'm telling you, it made me a decent sound engineer because you had to, I call it polishing a turd. Like mm -hmm. you can only do so much if the band sounds like shit, you know? It's like some point you're just polishing a turd, right? And so that's all I was doing. But that's what made me a good sound engineer because it sounded so bad. I had to work so hard to try to make it sound good. And so I had this like cool kind of experience where I got to like just, I couldn't mess up, you know? Because a lot of times you get thrown on a console and that first time you get thrown in there, you're scared shitless, dude. Like, yeah, you're like, the uh, whole show is riding on you. Like I've been in some really hairy situations later when like I had like real sound jobs. <laughs> and I was like... <laughs> There's like five lavalier mics on the thing. It's like a corporate event for Google. And I'm like, I have a headset and there's a show caller. And I'm like, is this a good time to tell them that I'm not really a good sound engineer? <laughs> like, is, so do I tell you now that I don't know what the fuck that I'm doing? Or and do my we buddy discuss was always like, later? don't worry. None of us know what we're doing. You know, I've, I've learned that in the industry. Like, yeah, there's people that have been doing this for years. But as soon as you're taken off your normal gig and you're thrown into something else, you're like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a constant. It's a constant learn as you go. Dude, the imposter syndrome is real, dude, like in this, because we're all so concerned, like for some reason, like we can take a look at our playing and know, think we know how good we are, you know? But it's like, that's why we need feedback and stuff. Cause sometimes we get wrapped up in like, am I good enough? Like, am I good enough? And at some point you just have to like, let that go, put in the work and show up and try to be humble. But yeah, I definitely had many times, and I still have that, dude, on gigs, where I'm just, like, surrounded by epic dudes, and I'm just like, oh, shit. Like, to piggyback off of that, yeah. I am coming out of the problem where I was worried about that so much that it made me suck. Yeah. I was too nervous to just play, play like I know I can play. Yeah, I would literally look at Bobby and be like, dude, just play. Yeah. Just stop thinking and fucking play. Yeah. We, were, we were on a gig, and it was, it was one where... It was with Annie Gavin, and I'm super comfortable with her. I've played with her off and on for years. And, like, I knew everybody on stage. Everything was super comfortable. So I wasn't nervous. And we get, like, halfway through the show, and Kyle comes back, and he's like, dude, this is the most free I have ever seen you play. This is fantastic. Where the fuck is this yeah. drummer all the time? Well, you're so worried about playing right and being perfect. And, and it, it's, I struggle with that still, dude. I, I had so many gigs shortly after I got here where I was playing with some jerk on stage that just yeah. constantly unhappy and constantly glaring at me and making me feel so small. Dude, I know. I know and that. It's just I, know like, how I, that I, I unlearned how to do what I do. That's and why so now like, I'm having to relearn how to just well, play. These situations in Nashville, like, they can be awesome and they can be really taxing. Like, you guys know from playing mm -hmm. thousands of gigs. Like, I've, I'm on, like, what did I did? 300-something gigs this year, last year. 
That's the most I've done in the in the three years that I've been doing this now, like straight. Cause I've been here almost five years, but I had the the tin roof job in the beginning, which we can talk about a little bit. I know. Yeah, I do, I do want to get on. Yeah, I do yeah, yeah. get to that at some point. Yeah, but yeah, man, I, I really this is really what I you know wanted to talk about on here though. If I had anything, was just like more the psychology about like how to be like a healthy minded musician and like knowing where you're at and playing with the right people and just on that, Bobby, like. It's all about playing with the right people. Yes. Having the right attitudes. Because I have guys that turn around and look at me and, and singing for me is a new thing, right? I didn't grow up as a singer. My Same. dad my dad was like, don't sing because he couldn't sing. And I'd play his guitar and I'd sing Tom Petty, right? And to this day, I sing Last Dance with Mary Jane on stage. I front it. I only sing like 10 songs now, but that's a hell of a lot for me. Hey, man. And guys would that, turn around. That's it what took, I'm working up to. It took to a guy to, to turn around in the band and go, Brad, you have an awesome voice. Sing the song. And I was just like, oh, this dude believes in me. Like, he's not just saying that because if I was really, really trash, he probably wouldn't say that. And he's like, dude, sing the song. And like, he guys like that, like you need people like that around you to give you that. I, I had a very similar instance. So like, I play with Todd Cameron and he, he's my main act, has been since 2021. And um, it's, you know, it's his show. He sings almost the entire show. And then somewhere at some point, someone like three or four months into it, someone asked for Johnny Cash. And he was like, oh, uh, I don't sing it. I used to have a bass player that sings it, but I don't don't sing it. I was like, dude, I actually sing Folsom. And he was like, oh, I didn't realize you sang any lead songs. I was like, I do a handful, but I'm not not like super comfortable. And like, you're way better than I am. So by all means, like you do your show. And he was like, yeah, that's a request. Do do the song if you want to do it. And I was like, okay. And I did it. And he was like, Hey man, you're you're not bad. Like you're yeah. that that was pretty good. Like I mean, it's, it's false in prison, so it's not like you have to try hard. But singing's a whole thing, dude. Like if but you don't sing, I got uh, I got a request for a couple weeks later. Um, I did "Beer Never Broke My Heart" and "Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue." Those are two other country ones that I I do, and because most of the stuff I sing is like rock and punk, but I have like ten or fifteen country songs I yeah. can throw in. And so I did those two and you know, I Todd's one of those people that he'll, he'll let you know if you're not good. Right, right, right. And he came up to me afterwards. He's like, dude, you actually have a really good voice. Like you should sing more. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, no man, like I'm, I'm serious. Like you sounded awesome tonight. Like those two songs are great. They're right in your range. He's like, you should sing more. And I was like, yeah. well, I've got other songs. I just, you know, I've never done the co-fronting or fronting. When well, you stuff. need that, you need someone to kind of like co-sign it. Todd was kind of the person yeah. that kind of like shoved me a little bit into that. And then I started co-fronting my other gigs on Friday and Saturdays. And then I got, now I have my own band that I put together and I front for. So it's, if I didn't have someone like him, cause I was always told I couldn't sing. I was all have always been told you can't sing. Shut the fuck up. So I I do, and yeah, uh, my dad said the same thing to me. Now people, it's he's wrong. People man. are like, "Hey man, you're you crushed that song. That sounded really good. Like you, yeah. um, I did a, uh, which I'm 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 not that great at, but um, Jelly Roll, um, Save Me. No, not Save Me. Uh, the other one, Son of a Sinner. Son of a Sinner. Yeah, yeah. I did that one, and I had three people come up to me after I sang that song. They're like, "Hey, you did." a fantastic job well dude it's all about finding a song when you're not like god's gift to vocals and you're starting you got to find the stuff that's like in your range stuff that you like well and the only reason reason i I said because someone requested jelly roll and i was like i thought about it for a second and i was like you know 
I've been learning that song the last couple of like weeks on vocals. Like I'll, I'll give it a shot. I don't have to push it like he does, but I was like, oh, this is a song that I can, I can. I think I, I think I lowered the key a little bit, but nonetheless, like we did the song and I was able to do it, and I even surprised myself. But it's one of those things if you don't really like take that chance and take the feedback, whether it's good or bad, like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. never really gonna know because. A lot of times we have people that don't know what the hell they're talking about telling us that we can't do something. Right. And so then when you have people that do know what they're talking about, like either confirm or like fix that for you. And they're like, Hey, this is what you need to do or don't do. Or you're good at this. or You sucked at this. Like it's means a whole hell of a lot more and will yeah. push us more. And like, we're all for the most part, we're all open to constructive criticism. Well, you gotta be, I think that's some of the, the hardest lessons you can learn. It's just, are you taking it from the right person? You, you'll, you'll know yeah. the right people to listen to the people you oh, look yeah. up to. And like, I'm playing older country stuff. Now I kind of have a love for it and uh, I'm playing at AJ's and on Monday nights I play at AJ's 10 to close and Mike Bork is on the gig. I don't know if you know who Mike Bork is. If you guys Do don't not. know, the old, he played for, uh, uh, Sammy Kershaw. Okay. And awesome guy, Canadian dude. Love him. Mike, if you hear this, I've been I've been sharing this on my social media today, and I'm going to try to get yeah, some we, people we to listen. Yeah, we appreciate that, man. Trying to get a variety of people to listen to it, but but Mike is a touring guy. He plays for Wheeler Walker Jr. now. <laughs> oh, that would be such a fun game. So this dude, he is just a god. He plays pedal steel and guitar. I mean, the guy is incredible. Everybody loves the dude, and he is epic, and he's on the gig, and I look over, and I'm like, this is Mike Bork on the gig. I'm like... Oh my gosh, he's gonna call you know, and he is the nicest dude. And I, I told him right off the bat, I said, "Man, I'm still learning a lot of this 80s, 90s country stuff. So, if there's anything I do today on this gig, let me know. I'm open to criticism." I said, "You know, but I'm not here to piss you off, and I'm gonna try to stay out of your way." And because uh, I know with older country, it's a lot about just like keeping time, don't crash in the verses. You only play the ride you're on not, the you're solos. You're not there to show off. <laughs> like just pop, and that's why I kind of love it because it's just like everyone plays at a lower volume, whatever. So that's one of the stories of like one of the people I've played with down there that I'm playing with now, and he humbles me and he tells me he'll 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 look at me and like go like side stick like not snare it's side stick and he'll just through the, and me and him he just dude, I'm learning so much from playing with this dude, and I asked him I said hey man any tips he's like no you're he's like you're a good drummer he's like you just got to learn the you know like play with a little more intention you know and he just gives me these little tips and I'm like man I'm so lucky to get to like play with this dude he's just making me a killer player man like. I've fallen in love with the old stuff because it's so tasty and everyone just plays quieter and I love my rock and stuff, but there's just also this whole thing with, with older country that's like, I thought I didn't like country because I was playing it with guys that really weren't country guys. Like you get on the gig and you start playing with guys that are chicken picking it and playing it right. It's like, oh, this is actually like a whole nother craft in itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when I was like, 16 17 might have been a little bit younger than that i don't i don't really remember somewhere in high school uh my best friend at the time his um i believe it was his uncle or cousin somebody played in a country band that we would go out to like the chemo boardwalk and watch them once a month do their country thing and they had full-on country band i mean yeah. pedal steel fiddle, fiddle acoustic yeah. electric bass drums i mean they had a full fucking so many band instruments. and it was just out of all the shows and concerts and bands that I've seen, it was one of the most clean sounding and prettiest sounding band I'd ever heard. And I was like, damn, country music doesn't suck. I'm wrong. It's just a different art. <laughs> it's just a different art. Everyone has to stay out of everyone's way. It's like every little instrument has its little place. 
You know, and some of the best country players that get me are the really good bass players. Like, if you listen to a really good country bass player, it's like, I mean, I have some guys and I play with different dudes. One of my favorites is Jake Bostick, this dude I play with. And he just, it, there's just a certain tone. It's more, it's less attack, you know, and it's more patty kind of, just big open notes. Mm-hmm. And it's real smooth and like a good country bass player is like. It's just butter. Oh, it's just it's buttery. Just butter. There's a dude that plays at AJ's that's just like. Oh, that's how you play yeah. based to like these old songs. But anyways, I could talk and, and get sidetracked. Well, I mean, cir- circling back a little bit. Yeah. So like, you know, you're talking about, um, sorry, what was his name? The the guy you play with? The Sammy just, or um, Mike Bork. Mike Bork. So, you know, guys like him, I was talking about being in Houston, like it being very competitive. And that was my draw to Nashville. Cause I just came to Nashville on like a whim as a vacation. I never had any desire to move here, or come here. I was just uh, getting away for a week. And when I told a couple of guys that I had met, you know, going on Broadway and like, we know how Broadway is. It's just bands all day long. And a lot of guys do acoustic throughout the day. So I'd go up and introduce myself like, Oh, Hey, I play bass and I love what you did. Yada, yada, yada. And they were also welcoming. There was no like negative stigma about like, oh, you're another musician. They're like, oh, fucking cool. You want to come play with me on Friday? Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not, <laughs> not that good or good at all, but thank you. But I was, you know, just opening, you know, icebreaker. And it, it, when I, after that week of meeting all these guys and just how welcoming they were, I was like, this is where I want to be. Like, I want to be surrounded by guys that like each other and want to help each other that aren't like, oh, fuck you, you're my competition. That's how I got gigs. Like, I experienced that too. when I moved here, that's exactly what it was. It was just dudes are like, oh, hey, well, here, listen to this album or listen to this bass player. Try this, you know. You do a lot of this and that's not going to work for country, so try this. And, you know, you play this type of bass, we'll try using this. And just so many ideas that were people were legit trying to help me succeed that I had never experienced before in a music community. Yeah. And like that's that's what I love about this town. Like every for the most part, everybody's trying to help everybody. Like, yeah, California was a like kind of cutthroat, you know, in oh, some ways. L- if you're out in LA, it's But I wasn't like I started to tap in into a little bit of the LA scene, but it just yeah, it seemed so hard and and it was it was just more like, all right, well, I'm just going to have to find a group of guys that are just a band, you know, and it's funny when someone asked me um uh, like oh what band are you in like i don't even know how to answer that i'm like well right? that's uh, not how it works i know but <laughs> yeah. like, i don't want to ruin it for them i'm like right. yeah well i play with and i just give them their first names you know and i'm like you know but sometimes we just meet on the gig <laughs> like, most of the time <laughs> but yeah like backing up to california i'll try to get through this <coughs> um i ended up country a country guy reached out to me because i remember back then i had a craigslist ad this is still like craigslist was where you'd find musicians so I don't know. Did you guys ever have a Craigslist ad? Yep. And Definitely all kind of weird. Kyle, did you ever have a Craigslist ad? Uh, yeah. To play? Oh, yeah. And you just get like weird people hitting you Bro, up. I mean, well, that that back in the day, that's kind of how you would meet other musicians because there was no like there was no social media network right. or anything like that. Like you, you went to classified ads to find specific people and players. And yeah, yeah I mean. That was actually how I found my like first real high school band, like where we actually like did shows, like did real big things. Yeah. And then um, when I quit that band, some other people joined, and then they ended up having their last show, and I showed up to it, 
And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go support my old band. Like, you know, they were still friends of mine. It was just like an hour and a half away to play with them every week. And yeah. I was like 17. And my mom was like, no, you're not no, you're doing that. that. <laughs> and so when these guys like split a couple years later, I went out to their last show and their guitar player, Chris, you know, I introduced him to myself and he's like, hey, man, you know, I know you're the old bass player and I got a, a guitar player buddy who's a really bad, badass lead player. And uh, if you know a drummer, like I'm trying to start a band. That was literally like our first conversation. <laughs> And I'm standing next to my cousin, Kevin, and Kevin was my drummer. And I was like, well, actually, this is my cousin, Kevin, and he plays drums. And we literally, at that moment, we were like, so you guys want to get together tomorrow and jam? <laughs> and that's how this band, Where Vegas Lies, started. Oh, that's cool. And I was with them for from 19 till I was 25, so six, seven years. And you got to have that in music, like those bands when you're young and it's like just you and the boys like coming up with original stuff and like, no, like it's just everything's, there's nothing off the table kind of like, you know, now our jobs are so much different and you got to be okay with that, you know? Um, but like that, I, I do miss that. Like I haven't jammed. <laughs> like if anyone's like, hey, you want to jam? I like, I'm like, no. <laughs> like, what do you mean? There's, well, does it pay like at least a hundred bucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You're like, does, right? Does it does it pay? And they're like, no. Like, do you just want to come to my house and jam? I'm like, what are and, we gonna do? Man, I miss that too because that that's like, I was I was talking to this with somebody the other day. I said my problem with Nashville is when I try to write with people or jam with people, everybody's like, we gotta write a song and here's the hook. like it, it. There's like such a fucking mission. Yeah. And I just miss sitting down with people and just playing music and seeing what comes up. And that was how most of our song, Chris had like four or five already in his pocket, but they weren't fully finished. And so when him and I got together, like we jammed them out, and like wrote them into songs and then everything else that we came up with, somebody would be riffing and then I would start just kind of playing a bass line. And then Kevin would come in with drums, start playing. And next thing we know, we're just like jamming on that part over yep. and over, figure out what works and doesn't. And I just miss that playing with feeling. That's the old you know school I mean? way of writing songs. That's like how bands now wrote songs. when people get like, I even had some people come over the other day and we were working on some stuff and I was like myself, I was trying to be so structured with it. And I left that session so pissed off and annoyed with myself. And I was like, why am I like this? Like, why am I feeling this way? And I was like, cause there's no feeling like I'm not just going in just like playing. Yeah. The first song that Steven came in here and wrote with me a couple weeks or like a month or so ago, that's what we did. He just started on something and I started with the bass and we were like, oh, this Steven is a Martin? song. Yeah. yeah. We were like, dude, this is a song. And now we've got, I mean, I've got a whole song written. And then we came in the following week and we were like trying to like do yeah. something more structured. And, and then like, you fit the lyrics in. Like once the music yeah. kind of comes together, then it's, then you write. So Nashville is very the opposite way, which. I didn't grow up in the Nashville songwriting style, which is like some singer songwriter comes up with some chords and sings a song, which I give a lot of credit to him though, because that's how they come up with a lot of the hits. And it, then you build the music, you know, around that. Yeah. So it's just like backwards. There's just a couple of ways to, to do that. But you know, I've, I've never really gotten into the writing side of it. Um, you know, I'd like to, I, I, I entertain the idea of like getting in on a write and just kind of being a fly on the wall and, you know, write a word, get a third. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. <laughs> like, yeah, you like write a word, get a third. I'm I like, can't tell you how many people in this fucking town. They're like, well, do you do you write songs? And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not that great of a writer, and I don't. I like to just kind of write for myself. Like, yeah. And they're like, well, you know, you just need to go sit in a session, and if you just add in a couple of words, and that right. song takes off, you get credit. And I was like, 
Yeah, it's crazy. That's dumb. Yeah. I mean, I I get it. They're, I understand yeah, it. I'm like, but they do you hustle, make your money, but like, I want to participate or not right, be there. Right. Yeah. I, to me, I was just like, that's, I was like, no, I don't want any part of that. And yeah. I personally don't like the whole Nashville songwriting process. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say that I don't like the community because there's a lot of people that, that are in the Nashville songwriting community that I like, but I just don't like how they do things. And I, I'm, it's weird to me. And I, I've only been in a couple of the writing sessions, so maybe I'm in the wrong ones or right. with the wrong people. I'm just like, call me when you need to cut it. Like, call me when you need a demo. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'll write studio. with you, Kyle. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of like outside of, I've been just this year. My goal is to put out my own record that I wrote and, you know, did all the songs on like, this is just for me. It's, I don't give a shit of what well, that's, a, that's the cool it. thing about this. Like music is like, there still is like, yeah, we have all these rules or like these formats and like channels that have been developed to get to the top. And it's like, man, if I was in this to like, sure, I would love to play with the number one selling artist. You know, I would love to have that big tour or whatever. Oh, that's absolutely. really not why I got into this. And like that's that, why that's, I keep that, going. That's my, so I'm living my dream now, which my dream growing up was just to play music for a living. Yeah. I was like, I don't really give a shit what I'm playing. I just want to be on a stage playing music yep. like that yes. and getting paid for it. And so like, I am literally living my dream, but now Same. my next dream, the dream I have next, the thing that I want to do next is I've never done a stadium tour. Yeah. I, I've done theater tours. I've done some radio tours. I've toured across the, overseas and, done AFE and USO tours and I've opened up for big artists. I mean, just put it in the universe. I've just never done the stadium tour thing. And I've, I've had a few opportunities where I've just straight up passed up. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for this. Cause I knew at that time in my life, like I was not ready for any of that. And I didn't even want to audition and I'm not gonna lie. Like auditions scare the shit out of me. And the few auditions that I have done here have been so fucking stupid. I have never gotten a gig I've auditioned for. Me neither. Me neither. I, I don't know what it is about auditions, but Actually, I fucking can't do them. Because that's, that's not how usually they hire players on a tour. They just, yeah. hey, dude, we need a, they ask the guitar player, the bass player, hey, do you know somebody? And it's like, mm-hmm. you just, it's the guys that you've played well, with downtown. That, that, or, yeah, right? that's, that's how you get the like, gig. They're like, hey, do you know somebody that can like hang out with us for a couple weeks and, and play bass? Like yeah. that, that's more what it is. They're like, can, yep. can, can they hang, but also play an instrument? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where like, there is one audition that I eventually got the gig for, but I was not their first pick. And that was one of the most awkward auditions I have ever done. It was literally just me, the guitar player, and the male singer. And it, it was a female male duo. Yeah. The female was not there. So the guitar or the singer was singing all of the male and female parts. There was no drum or click. It was just the guitar player. So there was stuff that like yeah. the drummer is supposed to just count in on. Oh, one of the songs that I had to do was um, uh, Journey. Uh, let's, Don't Stop Believing. Yeah. And I was like, hold up. Where do I come? Like, what? And they're like, oh, no, you start the song. And I'm like, no, it starts with piano. Because yeah. I had practiced it to the record, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was awful. And so the guitar player was like, oh, no, it's this part. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know that I started. Oh, well, it's that's weird. You, that song is weird you know, downtown, too. Like, sometimes the bass player starts. Sometimes the guitar and player like, starts. And I'm like, why would you? Keys, why they start would, it. Like, <laughs> why would you bring somebody in and, like, that's the song you're going to audition them for when you don't have a piano or drum? Like, it, it was so weird. 
and the song was just so empty and I wasn't sure when there were supposed to be stops or not stop. I, yeah. I didn't like any of it. And yeah, that doesn't sound like it's your fault. <laughs> no, I, I truly don't believe it was. Like I went in there prepared and I, I, I even had charts if I needed them, which I thankfully I didn't. I knew the songs, but it was just so awkward and weird. Yeah. I was like, this is how you're auditioning people and you don't even like have your full band. And I eventually got that gig and it was one of the worst gigs yeah. I had ever had. Well, because why would think about it? Why would you have an if you now that you know how Nashville works? Why would you ever have an audition? Like, I just don't think it's necessary. I like, I mean, maybe you want to see the person play, but I think it's like, hey, we have a couple choices that were referred to us. Let's get in a room and play some songs together, and then we'll pick the guy who we want. Maybe that's the scenario. See, I have always been a much bigger fan of the let's get together and jam. Yeah, like see if you're scenario. a good fit playing. Because like, and hang and just see how if, it goes. If you send me songs for me to prepare. 100% I'm going to stress out about it for the next two, three weeks, however long, and then play like dog shit in front of you. Yeah. But if while we're doing that, you're like, hey, I've been messing with this. Let's jam on it and see what happens. Then I can fucking play. Dude, the couple of gigs I've had that have been with like the no most notable artists that, that I've played with from Nashville was Brian Russell Collins hit me up and was like, hey, you're solid. I need someone to sub on the Josh Grayson gig, you know? And I was like, okay. And I like, learned all the songs went in there and gave it my best now that gig and he'll tell you it went horribly bad because the track rig like screwed up and it was like static in my ears it was like the most awful thing i i really did my absolute best on that gig and i, I even apologized to brian i was like dude I, I know you gave me this awesome gig i was like there's a lot of things that went wrong on this gig i did my best so if you got any bad feedback i apologize it was totally not my fault and then the other gig it was pretty recently is uh do you guys know johannes greer yeah yeah so jojo Love Joe. like we became friends and and i guess this is one of those cool things that happened with me where apparently i had the reputation of just being like a solid dude you know and he's like look i have to sub out the lewis bryce gig i just don't know who else i can trust with this kind of gig you know i think you're the guy to do it and and you gotta nail it and it's all original stuff and i said i got you brother 17 songs I had never heard. I heard maybe one Lewis Bryce song. Man, I had to put in a ton of work. Like, no rehearsal on a decent little stage. It ended up not being a huge crowd, but it was on a college campus in Kentucky. I learned all 17 songs by rehearsal. I don't write charts, really. If I, if, if, if I have to, and it's got weird parts, I will. But I just rehearse them. Listen yeah, to them. All I do, if I that, have a gig like that, I, I put it on Spotify, and all I listen to is those songs. And I came in there, and and I freaking I did awesome, man. And like that was it, and put in all this work and did the gig, you know. And it's hopefully that's you know, Joe will remember that, or the guys in the band will remember that. And dude, I felt so much relief after that gig was over, dude. Like I bet I. So I did the Josh Grayson gig from like 2019 to the beginning of 2021, yeah. um, and. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't have anything yeah, good to say about it. Say, yeah, no. I know exactly what. what. No. Nope. Um, I mean, I the band. Moving on. Loved, <laughs> loved the band. Loved the band. That's that's what I can say. Um, I want to give credit real quick to to BRC man because I was playing in California and I played with this random dude. We were opening and it was we were in Arizona. I hadn't moved here yet. And 
Brian Russell Collins, they were the headliner. He was on drums. It was Eric Gannis on guitar, and it was Corey England, Corey Scott, whatever you want to call him. Yeah, he's got like five names. Yeah, I, I love yeah, Corey, and uh, played a lot of games with Corey. And they were all the band for that guy they were playing with before the whole van incident happened when they flipped the van. Yeah, I forget his name. The artist. Uh, um, I, we opened for them, and these guys going back to our conversation. I just was like, these guys are from Nashville, and I started having this little like Nashville bug, because. Um, Going back to Craigslist, the country artists would like start hitting me up. I'm like, "Do you play country?" And they send me the list, and it was like Jason Aldean and all this stuff that I had no idea. I'm like, "This is just rock, dude." I was like, "I'm loving this." So anyway, I started having this like Nashville started like coming into my mind. So it was Brian Russell Collins, Eric Gannis, and Corey. And uh, I went up to him, and Brian was just like, "Yeah, dude, here's my number. Like, if you come to town, like you're a solid drummer. Like, I'll help you out. You know, typical Brian Russell Collins fashion, like." Dude, like he, I got to town, I called Brian, he introduced me to Brett Westgrove, he was strobing for him, and I like jumped on at Jason Aldean's like before they had e-kits and stuff. And so that's how I got in. And so like, like I really appreciate what Brian did for me, man. And we stayed tight and I ended up booking him and, and you know, we went through our ups and downs at the tin roof thing. And and like, I love him to death. And uh, he was, he did a lot for me and that was how I, that was how I met. That was like the first three Nashville guys that I met. Let's use that to segue to yeah. the tin roof thing. Okay. Because yeah. okay. I want to talk to yeah. you. I was literally, I was thinking booking. the same yeah. thing. Yeah. I, was, I, know I was like, can we get to the, I was definitely wanting to get to the All tin right. roof shit. So it's one of my faults. I just ramble, you know. Um, it's, it's, so it's fine. Better than the alternative, yeah. I promise. So <laughs> yes, the fact that I'm not sitting here having to talk the entire time is great. So I had built some, some, some experience and some credits like with, production and I was like managing this band out there this country band I was was helping manage it I didn't really have the title but I'm like the guy that's kind of like helping get the sound equipment together I'm like mixing it I I ended up buying gear so I had like that experience and I ended up playing with this country guy Michael Austin who ended up opening for Ted Nugent and I've played on two Ted Nugent's tours with this band and I could get into that whole story but it's like that was like that's the coolest thing I've done but I originally wasn't the drummer. They actually fired me and hired another guy because he was better for the gig and they offered me the tour manager gig. And I felt like it was a huge slap in the face. He was, it was my, my buddy and, I, and, and we've talked about this and we've gotten past it, but he, I ended up, I, and I said, you know what? I need to accept this tour manager gig because they think I'm good at it. It's a major tour. So what? I got to put my feelings aside that I'm not playing kid. It was kind of hard. I had to sit on the side of the stage and watch someone else play my gig, but I was the TM. And we went to 30 shows that first TED tour and I was the TM and I built that, put that on my resume and and moved on from it. Well, that drummer ended up leaving and I ended up getting to be the drummer and did two more tours with, with them. Shorter legs of the tours, we weren't on every show. But anyway, I, I'm saying that because that, I put this stuff on my resume. So I had full sale, I had some sound stuff. I had worked with a couple little sound companies out in California. I clearly have some like other skill sets that I bring to the table now. And as a drummer, that's like super important. You got to be able to run Ableton. You know, can you do backing tracks? Can you do all these other things? And so I moved to town after that first TED tour because I'm like, man, I need to go to Nashville. Also, I've learned on a lot of the tours that I've been in, a lot of the tour managers are drummers. Drummer, yeah. It's, I've, it's I don't know what that is. It's about gear and management and something with us. It just like, I guess we're, we understand our role is like, we're not the front of this band. Like mm-hmm. we understand all these other pieces. We look at the yeah, back Yeah, you don't have that ego. I think that's what it is. You know, like we <laughs> see like, 
I, we see everything, you know, and we're, it's so synonymous with like our role as a drummer. Like we're the mm-hmm. foundation. So we see all the like, well, dude, like slow down. You need to book the gig first. <laughs> like, hey, right? like, hey, let's do these other things first. You know, because the singer's just like, yeah, dude, like, let's just go do it. And like the drummer's like, no, hold on, there's dude. steps. <laughs> yeah. This is a program. And we see that. <laughs> and we see that, I guess. I think drummers all share that. No, I- I've said for a long time that like, I think as a drummer and being able to watch everybody, like I get a real perspective of the yep. show that the no artist can't get no yep and so you when see I'm every like, fall every miss when i'm thing, like hey every... this is what you need to work on and they're like dude you're crazy i'm like no you're blind you're yeah. literally blind you yep. can't see and you see the great things too that they don't oh, see. oh yeah like there's moments that i bring up sometimes and they're like what and i'm like dude that was a killer like or like we you made this joke or did the segue into this that right. was perfect everybody ate yep. that up and they're like I don't even know that I did that. So everyone in the band was like, Brad, you have this knack for like management. So I, I TM, whatever. Fast forward, meet Brian and all those guys. I up my family. I'm married. Um, my wife, Abby, I've got a 10 year old son. That's a whole nother thing. He was from a previous relationship. She was a alcoholic drug addict. That's a whole nother thing we get into. But I uproot my whole family. We moved to Nashville. And when, when was this? What? This was bef- right before the pandemic, 2019. 20- okay. I think I moved here into 2018. I don't know, I'm really bad okay, so, with time. In that, in that, that window. Time. Yeah, yeah. And so BRC had hooked me up with a gig at Jason Aldean's with Brett. I, um, Brian was like, hey, dude, uh, Tin Roof is looking for a sound engineer. Brian Russell Collins for the win again, dude. Introduces me to, to Alex at Tin Roof. Brian knows a lot of people, man. Yeah. And so, a lot of good people to know. I don't know if he looked at my Instagram and just saw that I had a bunch of mixing equipment on there and he's like, you're a sick Be engineer. I was like, you're never friends with Brian. I'm like, you've never, you've never heard me even mix before. And he just told them I was this great engineer. So good thing that I was a decent engineer because he just like threw my name in there. So I get the job, you know, whatever, 20 bucks an hour and I'm mixing at Tin Roof and they had the uh, the emo night going before when it was awesome, like before everything fell apart. And um, I've been through that whole thing, and I love everybody. I love Laura Walsh, like everybody, Brandon, everybody that was in that band. But there was a pinnacle of that emo night where I was mixing, and we had like a mosh pit going on on the first floor at one point. <laughs> like security did not know what to do. So this email comes across from Alex, the head sound guy, and it's like Tin Roofs looking for a regional entertainment manager, and I was like. Well, I'll probably never get this gig, but don't ever listen to what your head tells you. Because what I didn't know was that they were looking for somebody that wasn't from the Nashville scene. They wanted somebody different. And in my mind, they wanted a Nashville dialed in, of course, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was wrong. So thank God I was like, you know what? I'll just apply for this and I'll throw my resume together with all my cool stuff on it. It'll never hurt to try. And you know what? I can't take my own advice because I still don't ask Jim Girl what her name is, but it never hurts (laughs) to try. Did you have my comment on that? I was like, dude. Yes, I did. (laughs) Yes, I did. I called you out. And I was just like, Fuck you, Brad. <laughs> it, never, it never hurts to try unless I'm like, you you're just going to be in the same situation you are somewhere. now. Like, what? <laughs> like, just do it. We'll talk about that yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that. So I, I hesitantly put in this resume, right? And I get the interview and I hit it off with Morgan, right? Morgan's the GM. I love him to death at Tinder Broadway. Morgan is my guy, dude. Me and Morgan hit it off. We kind of look alike. I always call him Uncle Mo. Because we both have like so people will come in and be like, "Hey, Morgan," because we both have tattoos yeah, and mustaches. Y'all do, I never, y'all do kind of look like yeah. So we'd be I confused never put that together for each other. <laughs> so I love Morgan to death. He's been with Tinder for twenty years. 
probably. I think it's, it's like because I've never seen y'all like in yeah. the same. I, it's different times I've seen y'all. We just look a lot alike, and uh, we hit it off. And then I sit down with Bob, and uh, Bob grills me about music. He's the CEO of Tin Roof, and uh, he asked me like, "Who was in the Highway Men?" And like he asked me all these like crazy questions. I was like, "Uh, Chris Christopherson, like." <laughs> Uh, Willie Nelson, I think, was in there, right? Like, I didn't even know. And I was like, I'm not getting the job. Like, I didn't even know who was in the Highwaymen. It's like, what a question to ask, you know? Like, I'm like, I'm Furthermore, why does that matter? Yeah, like, he just I know, asked I'd, me this. I'd have been like, and what does this have to do with the job? I would. Yeah. That's what I would have been asking that question. That was, Bob, that was like Bob's thing, you know? And I was like, I bombed that interview. But if you get to know Bob better, like, he was going to do things to try to, like, break me down a little bit to just see where I was at. And so... I end up having this big third interview with all of the re all the managers. Like you want to talk about an intimidating in intimidating interview. I'm new to town. I'm supposed to come in and 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 do this huge interview. So I go, you know what? I'm gonna disarm all of them, and I'm gonna come up with this plan that I have for Tin Roof. Right? This is either gonna go horribly wrong or it's gonna go really well. And I came up with this whole like sixty or ninety day plan. Right? Cause I'm just a big personality and I don't want to be backed in this corner. So I'm like, I'm just going to take over this interview. Right. And I came in with this plan and I did, I like stood up and I go, Hey guys, I just want to share with you my 90 day plan and blah, blah, blah. And I think a lot of them were probably just like, what is this dude doing? <laughs> it felt like it was going really wrong. I guess I crushed it or they were just like, this dude is way different than anybody else we've interviewed. And it freaking worked, man. And I landed the regional entertainment manager job for tin roof. And, um, what an experience. Um, it was great for me to be new to town. We were upon a pandemic and they're like, we're going to hire you. Oh no, there's a pandemic. No, we're not. We're not going to not hire you. Just hold on. We want to see how this plays out. That was March when the pandemic hit. Yeah. They hired me, but didn't, you know, it was like, I was right on the fence. So May comes along and they're like, you know what? It's looking like we're going to need somebody. And they hired me during the pandemic that May, like in the height of it. So I get, not only did I get this job that I don't even really know what I'm doing, they like there's a pandemic and we're trying to get a bar through it bars multiple bars i had four locations when i started i had tin i had a, a tin birmingham memphis birmingham and demumbrian or broadway birmingham memphis broadway uh demumbrian and um most of the jobs booking right but a lot of it's like you had to do the website um you had to come up with special events you had to work with the private events manager and like make all that happen she always like has clients that want like well we want like a line dancing band or we want like a this band and like i had to like make it happen um really really tough job and and honestly i love tin roof and everything and the brand's great but it just became a really tough company to work for and um you know over the years i learned a lot um i just think i wasn't a great fit and in last February, we, we kind of had a meeting and kind of decided that um, I was going to resign. And they took care of me. They did. They gave me a great severance package. I mean, I had a great salary. Yeah, you said it was mutual. It like, was mutual. It was but, man, it just grinded me down. And it was just like nothing I could do was ever good enough. And I felt like my hands were tied a lot. And I share this because if anybody listens, it works for Tin Roof. Anybody, like... I just didn't, you know, I just didn't feel like I was given the freedom to really do my job and nobody really had my back. You know, it was like I was just never doing right by them. And man, I put in hours and I can say honestly, I sabot you know, I sacrificed my like personal life. Like me and my wife, she was so happy when I quit. I didn't realize how miserable I was until I left. You know, I mean, we put on a festival in Delray Beach when a hurricane came. 
and it was a headlining festival. A bunch of people that didn't put on festivals. We did it, and, and we got through it. Lauren Elena headlined it. Nate Smith was on it. I stage managed it. You know, a bunch. You know, we 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 made it work. But um, you know, I, I I'm not here to like throw anyone under the bus. But you know, it's a tough business, man. It's a tough business, and in the end, it's about money. And you know, I always did great. My stores always did great. I ended up taking over Detroit Tin Roof. We turned that one around. Me, Livy, and Ryan. We turned that store around to being one of the best stores in the company. You know, but in the end, I just think I wasn't a good fit, you know? And it was kind of hard because I felt like maybe they just didn't like me. You know, I don't know if it was what it was, but um, it, I, I mean, dude, I learned so much though. Like I got to meet all these people. Um, it was just, it was just, it was just what the, you know, the universe had laid out. It was my path. And I'm glad, and I'm glad and that we moved on. I think they're happy with it and I'm happy with it. But um, I mean... Yeah, if there's anything you want to know about Tin Roof, like throughout the pandemic, yeah, I definitely. Um, I mean, I I've had my my fair share of dealing with a uh, Tin Roof, and uh, and even recently they've reached out to me and they've tried to book my bands, and I've just I've just straight up said not to be that person, but you can't afford me. Yeah, and I there's don't, not there's and a cap, I, and I and I say that simply because. I know what it takes to get down to somewhere and back and rent hotel rooms and yada, yada, yada. And I've done plenty of gigs with Tin Roof and I've never come out in the green. Yeah. I've always been in the red. And I I just told him, I was like, look, if you want to hire me at Broadway or Demumbrian, my band's in town. We'll do it no problem. I mean, even even at your, your lower base pay. Uh, yeah, no problem. But you want me going to Birmingham and Memphis and all these other states and you're only going to pay me, you know, like you yeah, said, you there's a cap. There's a cap. You got to take I care just, of people. I just can't because I come out, one, I don't I don't have a touring vehicle. Right. So I don't know how the hell I'm going to get down there anyways. Uh, but two, it's just, I, you know, yeah. I got to pay people and I, think, I, I got to make money at the end. I, 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 I live by myself. I pay for all this on my own. And, yep. I'm not going to go take a weekend away where I'm coming home with $50. That's dumb. I can make a thousand in one night here. (laughs) It's a great stepping stone. And like when you get into town and you want to jump on and you want to get a taste of kind of like what Broadway on the road is like, it's a great gig. You're dealing with decent decent sound. When I went to all the other, and you know, I played Memphis a couple of times and I had a blast in Memphis every time I've gone down to Birmingham and some of the other ones. I can't remember all, all the ones that I've been to, but I've been to several of them and it's always been good. Yeah. You just got to know what um, not, it is. Not, it wasn't my band. It was somebody else's band. So I, I wasn't taking care of any of the overhead, but yep. all these guys were touring regularly. And this was just kind of something like, oh, hey, we're going to do the tin roof circuit this weekend. And yep. so I don't know how they had it budgeted and managed, you know, but right. they, you know, they were still able to pay me my, my road rate um, where if I'm me personally trying to do it with my band, like I can't even pay anybody close to my road rate, yeah. you know? Well, and you want quality entertainment, you got to pay for it. And, yeah. it. and it's just a little bump, like a little bit of lodging, a little couple of little things that, you know, it's just not in the numbers for them and the way that they, they do it. You know, it was like, they want to stay within a budget and it just kind of puts everybody, all the EMs, it puts them in a, in a hard place because they want, they want quality entertainment, but we're just under what it costs to get that. Yeah. Even I, if it were just a little bump on lodging and a little bump in pay, like, you might, and, and I think they're starting to get that, and they're starting to do exclusive deals with bands. There, were, there was one that I, one road gig that I did with the emo band with Brian and Laura and yeah, and Eric, and 
uh, Brandon, and uh, I don't remember where we went to. But they're like, yeah, man, we got an Airbnb. It sleeps six people. You're going to be fine. Da, da, da. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what they meant by it sleeps six people is there's a twin bed. There's a couch. And then we could bring in four like rollable <laughs> carts. Well, they only had one available that night. Little, uh, what do they call that? Man. Roll away I, or something. Yeah. I, <laughs> th- this is the first time I'd ever been on the road with that band. And this was like, besides Eric, no one really like knew who I was as a person. And I was like, guys, I don't mean to be like this, but um, we all deserve way more than this. And we work way fucking harder for this shit. Yeah. I was like, they're either going to put us in a hotel or we're going the fuck home right now. Yeah. And Brian called and talked to somebody and I, I was making a huge thing out of it. I was like, Nope. I was like, we have a female in this band. She definitely does not need me to be sleeping with four random dudes, especially yep. when one of them liked her. I was like, no, no, no. I was like, Nope, this is not how this shit should work. Like I've done better tours than the, I, cause I did, I did some pretty big tours where we were well taken care of and I get everybody's on a budget, but also you just got to know what that gig is, man. It's yeah. like, and it is what it is, man. Again, all the ones I did before that were with like touring artists. So like, I don't, you know, they had things taken care of. They yep. had their budgets for things and could do what they needed to do. But that was my first like real taste of like really dealing with the tin roof, like one-on-one. And I was just like, nope, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I don't even know. Like, it's just such a weird thing. I I, I got so. I mean, for what they want to pay me for here in town, absolutely. Yep, yeah. all day long. Yep, not a problem. Even even at their lower base pay, not a problem. Yeah, but the road gigs, yeah. uh, not unless I'm just already. I just need to fill a few extra dates on a tour. <laughs> oh, tin roof. So, looking at it from the booking perspective, what would your advice be to artists or bands? trying to get booked whether it be tin roof or any venue i think if you well if you have the ear of the booker because sometimes just getting a hold of them is like the hardest part tell me about it <laughs> you're emailing them you're getting no responses you know who it is you ask people you get their number they're not responding yep but is i would say is learn what they're looking for right i in these kind of situations we need to put aside any personal songs that we want to do any of our own music that we want to do we really need to understand like these bars are trying to sell drinks kyle said it earlier or whoever said it yeah and they're trying to sell drinks and make money right and it can be fun so just get over that you're not gonna be able to play those b-side songs that you want to play like know what they want I, I try to tell that to everybody in this town. Like, same. Nashville is not a town where you get to go play your music and your likes. Yeah, it used to be at one point in time. Sure, and you can still do that ago. if you want to go do a bunch of writers rounds and you want to go down I, I mean, that route. And there, there are some bars like Old Red definitely lets us play our originals and yep. stuff like that sometimes. And you know, they're not like, oh, you shouldn't do that. If people request an original, they don't fucking say shit about it. They right. let us do our thing. Uh, we also know how to keep a crowd, but and I mean, um, if you can sneak them into like a bomb ass set, that's one thing too. Sure, there's but a way to do it. If you're playing ten songs in a row that nobody fucking likes, yeah, you got to know spot. what they want. You got to know yeah. what they want. If you're trying to get booked at AJ's, you better send them a video of you playing a bar, playing some Alan Jackson songs. Probably <laughs> you might want to throw an Alan Jackson song in there because you got to play a lot of Alan Jackson. Yeah, you do. And you want to send them what they want. 
Send them what they want. Don't try to sell yourself to them. Yeah. Give them exactly what they want. Because Bro- that's what this Broadway, is. Broadway, Tin Roof, all of that. That's not Dude, the I'm time through, to be selling yourself. I'm going through all these emails as a booker and I'm going like, oh man, like, is anyone going to like send me something that fits the bar? Like, I got all this stuff. And it's like, when somebody pops up and it's like, they're a high energy band and they're playing semi-charmed life or they're playing you know something or they're doing beer never broke my heart and there's a crowd and whatever like you'd be surprised like i don't get a lot of videos of that yeah like you you want to bookers want to see that you can entertain a crowd and hold a crowd and i don't want a high quality video I want a cell phone video. Yeah. I want a low quality video. Well, one that I can hear. You don't want real. something. I want to hear the crowd. Real. I want you, you to see everything. I don't need your highly produced music video and your right. Spotify link. And we, you guys have talked about this on there. And it's like, no, sure you brought that up. Same thing. No, he wants gig. a real video. No, the gig. I'd rather you just film it on your phone. And guys would, I'd get them on the phone and, and, and they'd be like, well, what does it take? You know, what do I need to do? And I go, here's an example of a set list. Like, here's what Tin Roof is looking for right now. I said, like I'm, I'm booking for this bar. This is what we need. This comes down for management. You know, like I agree too. In that situation, this is what we need. We need high energy bands, less less time in between. You know, so I'd say go out at your next gig or whatever and film this. Like film it. You know, give me a video of you doing this. I'm like oh, okay, well, like I never played this gig. Whatever. You know what? I'll give bands a shot if they already have gigs. Like I get it. Send send me a video of you guys doing that in your basement. Like whatever. Like I'll give you a shot. If you just do what I ask and what I need, <laughs> and you'd be surprised. I mean, like, that right there tells you a lot about them. Well, yeah. You know, a lot of people just don't want to do that, like you just said, do what they're asked. Like well, and there's a... Again, it's the ego thing. It's... But there's this thing downtown, I wanted to get into this with you guys and tell me what you thought, where, you know, the, there's a whole thing between country and rock right now. I think it should just coexist, like it kind of yeah. is, right? Some bars have old country, some have newer stuff and you some bars are just you know you can do rock gigs at mellow mushroom or wherever you can get away with it and you know you've seen some posts where people have been fired for not playing enough country or whatever but like the whole thing about this is like what like what there's like all these people moving to town that i feel like want to they want the crowd because it's built in see that's the thing about broadway they want the crowd and they, they're almost they, intentionally being like well i'm gonna do what i want to do that's exactly what they're doing i know that because i've talked to several of them it's exactly what they're doing and those guys guess what they lose their gigs they eventually lose their gigs. and then time. they cry about it and that's the thing that i understand it's like it's not that this town is a country town that's not it it was built on country sure and country i hope stays because you know what country is honestly the future a lot of music and there's all these other genres that are living it's, on through it's country. still the foundation of this town 100%. i mean what is rock doing right now there's rock and there's sub genres that you can go see big shows but the mainstream music is rap and country and it's like all living through that i really hate that they, like rock has died in a mainstream way like in a lot it kills me it breaks it's, my heart it's actually it's really made a resurgence in the has last it? two years oh yeah, yeah. like it's because i'm just like out of old and don't listen ways. to new music oh, I, that's I, the pro- I, problem <laughs> yeah i'm like i i, I listened to um you the monty uh episode and i heard this band sleep token mm-hmm. and she had talked about it and i go you know what i'm gonna go listen to this band the fucking band is amazing by the way See, I loved them. And you, when you said it was like the modern the tool. Name, and I've heard like one rendition so, of one song. Anyway, I'm trying to open my eyes to that. But like, I just think that just with this whole Nashville thing, man, it's like you just going back to your question. It's just knowing what the people want. It doesn't mean you can't 
steer them in a different direction. It doesn't mean that they're not going to come up and request a rock song. At AJ's, they come request rock. We have to tell them no. We don't play rock. You know, we don't play rock here. That's just AJ's. You don't get mad at that. Like, right. that's just what AJ's is. You're going to have Mike Bork on Steel, and we're going to do, you know, uh, you know, Alan Jackson songs. You know, we're going to yeah. do Waylon Jennings. We're going to do stuff that has George Jones, the shit that has pedal on it. So I think it's just knowing where you're at. Yeah. And I mean, you know? if, if you're playing a bar with somebody's name on that bar, just know some of know their, their songs. songs, right? Know them. You may never fucking play them. I think I've played Johnny Cash's probably 20 times and I've played Johnny Cash songs that they're three, you know, but like <laughs> you just never know. And, you know, Hanks is a new bar and this has actually been a problem with a few different bands. You know, they're, they're hired for what they do, which I get, you know, Booker comes in, they're like, Oh, yep. That's, that's what we want for these hours, this and that. What well, is also Nashville, so they these and correct me if I'm wrong since you've sure. been on that side, but I feel like because it is Nashville, if you're hiring somebody for, you know, a rock and punk band but you're putting them in Hanks, you're just kind of assuming that hey, you can Well, I'll tell you what that is. I'll tell you what that is. Bookers and I'll I'll call out other bookers on this. Yeah, let, their let's, job let's is very hard. <laughs> their, their job is very hard. I will give it I will give them that, right? Oh, They've yeah. got a lot of stages to fill. They're getting pulled all these different directions. And some days it comes down to who is the easiest and the closest person to book. And you don't I put in a lot of work into vetting out bands and going and listening to them and like doing the what it takes to really provide quality entertainment. It takes work. When you have a band that cancels and you have a few days or whatever ahead, you can start with the bands you know you want to hire, but you know that they're probably going to say no. Your first choice is probably going to say no. Your second choice is probably going to say no. I don't know how far down that list it's going to go and calls you're going to have to make, but that's how you get quality entertainment. A lot of them will just go to the band that's easy and is right there in their text feed, mm -hmm. right? Because it's easy. And they may not do that little bit of work and that'll come bite you in the ass, right? Like if you are booking a bar that needs this and you go, well, this girl's good or whatever, but you don't realize that she does all rock music, like you can screw yourself. Yeah. You know, and then you end up having to fire them, you know, and that's not cool. And so, because you didn't do your job. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened in that particular case. It's exactly what happened in that particular but like <laughs> the bookers need to put in the work, man. And, well, I, and know I, what band you're hiring. I, I will set say that expectation. Let them know. This this guy that, that was booking, I don't know if he still does, but the person that was booking for them at the, at the time, uh, I was playing for this artist and he came in and watched us and tipped us a bunch of money and then was like, hey, I book over at Hank's. You know, I know they're opening in a couple weeks. I want to give you this, 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 and this slot. And they were all like closing prime. You know, they're all fucking Thursday through Sunday closing shifts. But you're like a rock guy. So, yeah. Mostly. It, yeah. And like, uh, I know what I'm hiring. Right. And like, so is she. And when he was in there, that's pretty. I think we played like one country song. We may have played like gunpowder and lead or some stupid shit. But we played all rock. I mean, it was all pop punk. And I and wonder rock. when they started that. Like, And so he you know, was like, hey, I want to book us. And he. I wasn't, I was just filling in that day. So, you know, he booked them and they played there for a couple months. And, but over time people were requesting older country and requesting Hank and she would be like, Oh, well, that's not what we do. That's not what we were hired for. This is what we do. And that's, that's a huge mistake. You never say that's not what we were hired for. Right. That's a big no, no. And you don't get attitude with the patrons either. 
you know, uh, when they request songs, it's not something you do, at least on Broadway. I have my shift off of Broadway, and if you come to it, it's quite different, different but right. it's not a Broadway show, and I'm also hired to do exactly right. what I'm doing. Also, but, you're building a brand. I am. Um, and so that's a whole rock. other concept. But, you know, they were warned by management several times. Right. Hey, Hank's son or whoever what you know nephew whoever's coming in here and he's gonna sing he's gonna want to play hank songs learn a couple and they didn't yeah they knew but a lot of that's on the booker too man because you can't just you hire a rock band and then you want expect that out of them yeah you set you have to set those expectations i had a whole one sheet that i would send towards the end there i had a one sheet that was like told you anything from like kind of what i expect you to do where you park where validation is like I would like lay the stuff out because that God, would make, I wish all bookers would do that shit. Fuck. You know, it's like, oh, wait, communication just, jam. I don't know if you've ever dealt with jam factory, but they're that way. And they text you every day yeah. before your shift it, with all the details. And I fucking love working for and jam nine factory. times out of 10. It goes without saying. And everyone's like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And they yeah. do and they get it. But it's like, I need to put that together for that one band that could slip through the cracks or whatever. I don't know. I just, I think going back to what we were talking about, like, it just comes down to like booking the right act. Yeah. And that takes time. You can't just go on your phone and be like, oh, my buddy Kyle has a cool band. Like, well, I mean, if, and I don't know how that went down, like with the Hank situation, but I can't imagine that it was like, let's go book a bunch of rock bands. Like, I don't think that. Yeah. He, like, he, his, from my knowledge, he was going around Broadway because they weren't open yet. You know, they had a, a soft open like a month or so out. And so he's going around and he's watching people and seeing how they are with crowds and so forth. I mean, he, he really paid attention to our and show. And a lot of the rock bands are really good at that. Yeah. You know, I will defend anybody in rock because I love rock, dude. Yeah. And sometimes, like, people come to Nashville and they think they want to hear country, and then they get hammered, and it's a lot more fun to get shit-faced to rock. Yeah. I will give that to anybody in rock. And we were, we were also playing a rooftop, so it wasn't like, you know, a main stage or anything, so we were kind of getting to do whatever we wanted, and he liked it, and he booked them. And, you know, over time, they were they were told what they were expected, and she was like, no, this is what I'm doing. And it, it, it was on her, and her and her band, everybody in her band's new within the last two years so they're not you know nashville people and um so when they were requested these songs they were like ah i don't know what to do where it's like you know me and bobby we can jump around from song to song like oh okay that's what you want to hear fine yeah we can do something along those veins like you know if i'm doing a bunch of rock at hanks and then you ask for a bunch of hank songs and you're tipping for it i'm not gonna be like no we're a fucking rock band this is what we're doing yeah i'm like all right hey guys dude wants to hear some hank i know we've been rocking out but we're We're gonna gonna do do some Hank. what we're doing is entertaining people (laughs) and making money yeah Yeah, you gotta put yourself aside again it's taking away that ego especially like it's 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 touring and doing showcase you know original showcases are so much fucking different than broadway touring and and original showcases you can have that ego and be yourself and sell yourself and sell your band and do your thing and say fuck everybody else because that's that's what they're expecting to see yeah where when you're on broadway guess what you're for it's, a lot it's of crowd centric and i think, it's, and I think it's i think it just takes some experience like oh. when you're young you're a little and like i didn't come to nashville when in my 20s like i i, I didn't come here and i'm 39 years old like i wasted oh, i thought you were younger than that yeah you look, you I'm look 39 great for 39 man yeah i get that <laughs> a lot i'm not I'm the like, oldest in the room <laughs> yeah i'm like i don't have time for that anymore really like i'm ready to just like i'm 
you get that with age, right? You learn how to be like, you know what? There's some fun. Like if I don't like a song, I really try to stay away from like, I don't like wagon wheel or chicken fried. What I try to do when I play wagon wheel or chicken fried is because I've played it so much, which is the reason why I would not like it is I try to play it as tight and as awesome as possible. If there's a song you don't like because you played it a zillion times, then you should be nailing it. Then it should sound because if you don't nail it, then you can't really hate on the song because like you don't have to like it. But like, look, man, you just got 20 bucks for it. I hate I before I even started playing here and playing the song, I've never liked Wagon Wheel. I hate that song. Yeah. Every time I play it, a part of me dies. It really does. But when I play that song, there's a smile on my face. I sing it at the top of my lungs to that fucking crowd. And they believe that that's my favorite fucking song. Because guess what? My job is not up there about me. It is about entertaining that fucking crowd. How about this? How about if a make twenty dollar bill? How about in a slow season? How about right now when you have no twenties in that bucket? And that twenty dollar for wagon wheel comes up and he wants twenty for wagon wheel. Oh, it's going to be a little bit dollars in tips today. So thirty-two dollars. Perfect example. Perfect fucking example. So it's snitch on my Friday gigs. It's punk rock and and grunge. It's it's what we do. And I will say no to stuff I don't want to do because that's what they hired me to do. And they fucking love that. Yeah. It's off Broadway. It's my thing. It's my show. But if you come in with the item, I do, I got a dollar amount. I've got a dollar amount. And I, man, I will not play fucking classic rock. Now, well, the one song I will not play, no matter, I don't care if you put a thousand, well, thousand dollars on my. <laughs> There's always. I'm going to have a, we're going to be fighting, dude. I'm going to be like, Kyle, we're doing this dang song, bro. I don't care what you think. But, put your shit aside for a minute. <laughs> but, you know, somebody, um, they came in and they wanted to hear, they wanted to hear Bobby McGee. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what it was. And, um, leave it to someone to Cameron, request the wrong song at a gig with a green haired mohawk dude it's right like I just feel like you know how people well, my, do that my co-front I mean she she yeah. I don't know if you know Cameron Jane but holy fuck that girl has a voice on her she has some pipes I don't know if she I know her. Uh, she's going places man like this girl can fucking sing and they were like hey I, you know, I want to hear you do this and she was like well you know her up he quick. doesn't let me do classic rock with this is a lot of and she explained it I didn't have to I was like oh thanks I appreciate that like I didn't have to fucking say it again and he goes what about for a hundred dollars and my head just snapped around and I said hundred bucks I'll do whatever you want besides Freebird because <laughs> <laughs> Freebird's a two hundred dollar song now <laughs> and uh, he was he came up dropped a hundred dollars and I said all right let's kick it off and we did I mean you know I, again we weren't making much money that night, and he had he not thrown that in there, I don't know that they would have got out of the parking garage. Is that, that her night. name, Cameron Jane? Cameron or? Jane, C A M or uh, sorry, K K. Okay. Yeah, Cameron with a K. But yeah, no. So going back to the playing songs you don't like thing, like I like playing music more than I don't Just like you, playing Jane? a song. So I will happily play whatever song, provided it's a song I can play. I mean, There's do you want to be miserable and jaded all day? Handful of songs that I just, for whatever reason, I, I mean, suck I look at it this down. way: we're getting paid, even if even if there's not a lot of tips, we're still getting paid to play music with our friends. Yeah, and you're gonna complain. I'm I'm not getting I'm jaded. Not saying, I'm not saying you boys, but right. But getting but I'm jaded, saying like not that, about that. That's not what I'm. That mindset about. is a slippery slope, and that's when you encounter the grumpy like people downtown. I mean, I get it. You've been down there for ten years, and you're like now a stickler for every little piece and every little song and you don't want to play that song and dude i've had some throwdowns like i had a falling out with one of my good buddies and man if he's listening to this podcast like i hope we can get past it we played together for a long time 
He knows who he is. We'd gotten into it a few times on stage. I don't get along, get into it with many people. I can I, have. I, I can have. Look, trust me. I can have an attitude sometimes. Like I can get there, right? Like we 100%. all do. We all get there, man. Some shit goes down and whatever, and 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 it just we had a falling out, and um, like we're good now. We've we've seen each other. We wave. We smiled and all that. But I actually canceled all the gigs I had with them because I just realized that my sanity and it wasn't working anymore was more important. And then slow season came, and I was like, dang. That was a lot of gigs I gave up. <laughs> like, dude, isn't that how it works? So even if it's not slow season, like the second you're like, dude, I'm all right. I need to step away from this gig. It's taxing, dude, whatever. Like you, you lose one gig, you lose 15 gigs, and it's like, fuck, well, why guess would what I ever do that? But what happened was is some other things started happening for me, and I didn't have to go pour me out on social media. I just reached out to my people, said I'm, you know, I got into the Purple Circuit a little bit more. I'm having a great time playing with Hunter Kerbo over there right now killer band like we just discovered that the drummer is actually a better keyboard player and he played keys for the first time last night because he's probably might be a better drummer than me i can't remember this dude's name right now i feel really bad we just met last night and i've that's seen fair. him play that's fair. but like i wanted the hunter gig but i just didn't want to i was subbing for this dude and and he's like yeah well he's gonna play keys and it clicked last night like we were doing songs last night like we played dire straits money for nothing never in my life like that song is freaking awesome. I grew up on it, but yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it's wild down there and you got to really know, you really got to have your head in the right space. Like you got to know what this is every time. And you know what? It can grind me down. And sometimes I'm up there going, what am I doing? Like I'm going to play Rippy sad room tomorrow from two to six. I love Sammy. She's great. You got to take the gigs you can take. Eh, two to six ain't too bad. She's great. On we, Thursday, you know what? Fine. We play we play fun stuff, and we make fun of each other, and we talk the whole time. She's from Texas, and she's like 23, and I'm old enough to be her dad, and we just joke around about that, and it's just See, like- I, I love situations like that where you can, you can have fun because of the people you're with. Oh, well, yeah. you know, and I, I will say, you know, one of the reasons that I stayed on that morning gig with you guys and Noah and Woody for as long as I did was because as much as I hated getting up at fucking eight o'clock in the morning after playing till two thirty in the morning, um, when even if there was nobody there, like we were having fun and we were laughing, like it, mm -hmm. it was a pretty fun gig majority of the time. Yeah. And you know, like there were a few days where like, yeah, I definitely want to kill some people, but, um, you know, like that's why I stayed on it. Cause it was just, it's well, fun. And, like and it, it's a solid group of, there's something about that too. Like if you just do pickup gigs a lot, hmm. that can kind of wear you down. Cause you're on your toes and you're like, not sure what songs are going to call. And you're like, the anxiety in that alone kills me. Yeah, so here, here, I love the gig you get on and you're just like, I know what they're going to do. The okay. first five songs. So here, gonna, here's something I can say about the pickup gigs. What I've realized, at least for me, I don't do a lot of pickup gigs. Um, I have a lot of people that'll call me as their sub that I've been pretty consistent with over the years. So I know the set list and know how it's going to go. And it's, you know, I have the good idea. But I pick up probably about somewhere between five and 10 pickup gigs throughout the month and just while people I've never played with and yep. just give it a shot, you know. But lately, I've been, whenever I've been feeling like stagnant and starting to get jaded, I'll, I'll try my hardest to get a pickup gig with nobody I know because one, it could lead to more gigs and opportunities. Yep. And two, I don't know what the fuck I'm going into. So I'm going to be on my toes and yep. it's going to challenge me so much yep. more and I get out of that stagnant mindset sure. of, oh, I'm so good. I've been doing this forever. Blah, 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 blah. Like, 
and then you realize, oh, and I'm, I'm not as good as I thought I was or something or the other. Yeah. But that's that's one of the things that, you know, if you're doing the pickup gigs every day, yeah, that can really. Well, and there's a certain part of Broadway stressful. that it's going to be that. Like, yeah. it's just going to be. If you want to make a living, you got to be comfortable in those settings, mm-hmm. playing songs that you may not know. Like, there's some communication that needs to happen. And we've talked, you guys have talked about that. Like, if you don't. This I don't want to say if you don't know the song because when you get to a certain point, like I don't know, they look back at me and go, "Brad, do you know the song?" I go, "I don't know half the shit that we've played here tonight," and I'd say that jokingly because it'll come back to me. But I listen to and love it. I've been doing it long enough. I go, "Look, I haven't actually heard that one, which is kind of rare now. Like it's really rare for someone to call a tune that I've never heard, yeah, ever. Unless it's like like recent." And I ask the guitar player, right, and I'm like, "Hey, dude, does it get weird in, in any parts?" And I'll tell, I'll give, I'll give somebody my little secret right now. It's not anybody who's played with me. I use a little in-ear pack and I take the mix and I go into one channel of it and I have my tablet with my click. I always have a click. Like I don't play every song to a click, but a lot of go-to tunes, I play to a click. If you ever play with me, everything's going to be solid. And it doesn't mean they're going to be record. They're going to be the right tempos that they need to be. Save a horse is not going to be 104. Trust me. It's going to be 107, 108. Or wherever, but, but you you got the. But click. I have the click there, Chattahoochee. Yeah. I'm almost always gonna start it with a click. I don't have to play that song with a click, but it just keeps it true. But I have Spotify, and I play by ear. So if you call a tune and I don't know it, just like any guitar player is gonna pull up a chart, I pull up Spotify mm-hmm. and I listen to the feel and I fast forward a little and I listen for weird. I listen to the beginning. I listen to any weird bridge parts and I listen to the ending. Now you might skip over some weird hits and you may miss those. But I'm like, hey, dude, really? I she listen got to a good it. 70% I got a of the good, song. Doesn't seem like anything crazy. Let's go for it. I count it off and we just go. Yep. And that same. skill. Very same. That skill is like developed. And I've been telling Preston about that because he wants to play on Broadway. And I'm like, I'm like the skill of playing a song you don't know. I had challenged him. I go, here's a list of three songs. He, we use Marco Polo to share messages with each other. I go, here's three songs. I want you to be honest. Pull up a chart, and I want you to record yourself playing them and send them in the Marco Polo. <laughs> I said, I don't care how bad it sounds. Get over yourself. Just start playing songs you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was doing that. And, like, now we're going to get him on some gigs, and you're going to play with us with Redneck Rodeo. I kind of wanted to plug that a little bit, if I can, if yeah, this is yeah. the time. Absolutely. Go ahead. Um, in California, there's a, a really, probably one of the biggest country cover bands out there in SoCal is called Redneck Rodeo and they're, they're, they're unique in the sense they have a brand and they wear a motorcycle vest. It's super cool. And um, everyone gets a name and they name you. You're the prospect when you're new in the band and then you have your name. They give you your name when you've earned your your spot. And so a lot of these guys have moved to Nashville. So I've never been a prospect. I'm kind of excited. Yeah, you're, you're about basically going to be a prospect. We'll have to give you the, uh, the subpar vest. So when you're a sub, you're subpar. That's funny. <laughs> I like that. And so um, like these it. guys all moved out here. Preston moved out here. And he's like, why don't we start the Nashville chapter? So we started the Nashville chapter of Redneck Rodeo. It's a high energy country rock band. We do some emo stuff. We do. It's just, it's not really about working tips and playing requests. It's about entertaining the shit out of the crowd. Mm-hmm. And there's a I set love list. Every aspect. Of and that. we had been looking yep. at Kyle for a minute. And I was like, Kyle would be so awesome on this gig. Like. I don't know if he'll do it. I want to say you hit you or somebody else hit me up before. I I just was not available. Yeah, but finally, finally you hit me up, and I was like, yeah. Which actually, I need you to send me those dates again because I didn't write them down. Okay, and I need to make sure that I have. Please, dude, it's going to be a fun gig, and I think you're going to be perfect for it. It's going to take it to like another level with you and the band. We're going to have you sing some songs. You sent us a list, like. So uh, I want you guys to check out Redneck Rodeo. There's two Instagrams. There's there's Redneck Rodeo Orange County, OC, and then there's Redneck Rodeo Nashville. So if you guys want to follow that, that'd be awesome. And we're going to be playing a few gigs at uh, 
tin roof second floor um and we're looking to get some more stuff but we're, we're more of like a private event wedding band but it's nashville so we got to do our thing on broadway but um yeah it's, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be cool man hell yeah cool. that I sounds awesome there. well i am 100 percent gonna cut this right now because i'm realizing what time it is i'm yeah. like shit i have 30 minutes to get ready and i have to pee <laughs> of course of course bobby has to pee. Always has to pee. <laughs> but uh it's brad old dude, man bladder uh i'm not gonna lie like i've really been i could sit here and talk to you for hours to be completely honest um that's episode two we gotta bring me on again i, I know dude. like we're we're at two hours right now so i'm like this is again i told you we i either cut it right at 1 30 or it goes so well that i'm not even paying attention and today was one right. of those days so thank you so much for uh coming in here and talking to us if you could real quick just tell everybody wherever you're okay with uh people finding you on social media yeah man um i'm not a huge social media guy i mean but uh on instagram it's uh x bad x brad yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that's from an old uh, career I had, so I just kept that same Instagram name. Nice, nice. But um, and then uh, I'm obviously on Facebook too, and it's just Brad Dawson. Just look for uh, the mustache. Fuck yeah! But that's pretty much it, man. I've got a TikTok and all that, but I don't really use it. Me neither. <laughs> like, <laughs> Me neither. I'm getting too old for this, man. Like, my my TikTok is so stupid, so dumb. I'm not that uh, I'm not that hard to find, Bobby. Uh, uh, I like it when they listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> seriously, I, I, I love what you guys are doing at podcasts. Everybody's got a podcast now, right? But this is so cool because when you come to this town, I, I think we need to keep our arms open to like the new guys that are coming oh, in yeah, and challenging. Absolutely. I mean, the, that, that was the whole point us. of this: is I'm trying to put out what I wanted when I got here. Yeah, man. Yeah, and like, I wish this was a thing when I moved here because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Like, I know, had no And we can clear it up. And direction. we can also set the tone for tourists and people that come to town that are like, that you hear all the things when you're going to move here. Like, I heard the bands don't make any money and it's all God. tips. And like, yeah, we want you to think that, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that I used to try to like keep that secret and that stigma. And it's just now it's. Well, because 100 so bucks over, ain't much anyway. It's so oversaturated. <laughs> right. That's nothing anyway. Like, it, yeah, we get paid by the bars. No, it's not a lot of money. Does our. No. Does we our also living have come, to pay for parking. Yeah. Does our living really come from tips? Absolutely. Anyways, uh, Bobby, where can they find you at, man? I'm at Story of Bob or Story of Bob Music basically everywhere. Come say hi. And I am Kyle Thurkey or Thurkey Bass. And as Brad said, if you're looking for me, I'm not that fucking hard to find. Uh, clearly, because people just show up at my house. So please that, stop. That's got to quit. Did that happen? Uh, more than I could say. I'd like to admit. Uh, but yes. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I mean, I showed up, but I was invited. Uh, so I don't know <laughs> if these people still listen to this or not, but please stop. Um, anyways. Both showing up and listening. It's oh, wait, just better wait, that wait, way. <laughs> wait, are you, do we have to cut it off? But I brought, I brought you guys some stuff. Oh, oh fuck. shit. Yeah. Let's do Is gifts that, real okay. quick. I brought, I brought them a little bag of goodies and we'll see how yeah. this goes. All right. I, I do have the it's camera a, set up. We're just not live streaming at the moment. It's a nice oh, wait, did purple the camera bag. Die? looks dead. With a ribbon. Oh, yep. Camera died Classic again. Amazon bag. With uh, wood poking, I mean sticks poking out. Whatcha? That's mine. Those are yours. Those are Rich Redmond drumsticks. Nice. This. What's in the thing? Is a magnet wallet. Oh, that's dope. I don't know if oh, one of you guys this, want one of those. Is this one? Oh, dude, I've been yes. You want that? Mm-hmm. I've been looking at one of those for a while. I guess since I, I called honestly, the sticks, like, and I told you, you guys yeah, the I'm re- wallet. You, you called the sticks. I'm calling the wallet, bitch. I'm re-gifting some too stuff soon. here. Watch out. Some sick glasses for a gig. Bobby, those are all you. These bro. are sick. 
They're not me. They're not you? I mean, I put them on. Dude, they're awesome. Yes. Yeah, I will 100% walk up to my gig with those on tonight. Those are sick. Those you are gig would. glasses. You should. I, I will. You should. We can share those. We can totally share those. Okay. <laughs> and there should be one little... Uh, oh, is there a little th- thing another thing? Oh, yeah. I feel a thing. I think this might be for Kyle because he has a vest. <laughs> this is for Kyle. Do you already have that? No, but I have one that's a middle finger, so I definitely yes. need that. Nice. Fuck yes. Ha <laughs> ha. Hell yeah. Well, yeah. dude, thank you so much for coming on. Like I said earlier, uh, if you were listening from the beginning, uh, Brad has raised the bar. He brought in <laughs> drinks and snacks and but a Kyle fucking little... Kyle took my gummy bears away because you I'm not allowed I don't to eat to hear on the podcast. Sma- Nobody wants to hear you sn- stop that shit. I hate that <laughs> s- noise so fucking And when you're much. listening, it's the worst, dude. If you're listening to a podcast and someone's chomping... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to everybody that had to listen to that. Love. I'm so sorry for everybody that just had to hear that <laughs> i bet everybody wants to reach through their fucking stereo and slap you right now because i do and i'm at least they're all thinking of me <laughs> i got shot forgot i had shot it through the heart it's my little nerf gun cows to blame all right <laughs> we gotta get the fuck out of here i gotta get ready and it takes forever for me to do my hair so anyways uh thank y'all so much for listening i appreciate you guys Uh, If you saw our last post, our numbers in the last year have tripled, (laughs) and I am so incredibly fucking grateful for everybody that has been a part of this, whether you have donated, listened, been a part of it, talked about us, whatever, good or bad, I really don't give a shit. Our name's been in your mouth, and that means the world to me. So thank you so much, everybody that listens. Uh, I'm literally blown away. Like, I... I I knew the numbers, but like seeing them side by side in the in the post you made, it was like holy shit. When I had that memory come up yesterday, and I literally just got done looking at the new numbers, and I was like, I got to put that next to each other. Yeah, people need to see this, and it's 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 cool. It's growing, and it it wouldn't be that if it wasn't for you guys. So thank you so much. I know that there's a lot of y'all here in this Nashville community that listen weekly. A lot of you players. You give me feedback. You tell me you like it. I, some of y'all, if you don't like it, please tell me that too because I need to know what I need to stop doing. Um, but yeah, we're going to get the fuck out of here. So thank you guys so much. AMF. Bicycle. Peace. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We have a great time putting it on for you. So we really appreciate all of the listens. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, we are on Facebook and Instagram. So if you just search Nashville for Nobody's Podcast, we will pop up and you can interact with us that way. We also have some more options coming up in the future for interaction. So that'll be a whole lot of fun. So as always, it's never too late to tip your bartender and please don't forget to tip your band.